Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the other side of the podcast. We have an amazing guest tonight. To find the show, go to the other side of midnight.com. And tonight's show is called The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramids. And Sam Osmanagic is going to be our guest. Richard continues to be in my grain land. I will be hosting the show tonight with my co-host, Timothy Saunders and Annette Driscoll. And I want to welcome Timothy to join me. Timothy, are you here? And Annette will join us in a little bit. Good morning. It's definitely morning here. It's early morning here in uh, southwest Turkey. It's beautiful weather. It's a very hot summer here these days. And... Also, I should offer, I'd like to offer a e-bayramla to everybody who understands. There's a four-day national holiday. It's, um, it's uh, a time where families come together and enjoy and relax. So um, it's a perfect day. Well, I'm so glad you could join us. As I mentioned, Richard really wanted to be here tonight, and he has been in migraine land for the last two days, and... So his spirit is here, and this is such an important show. It had to go on, and we didn't want to postpone uh, Sam again, so we made sure that we would jump in. <laughs> that's, that's right. I mean, we were going to do this, what, two weeks ago? And unfortunately, okay. there was a, a technical issue where we couldn't go ahead and do out. it. power was out. His power was out. We that's like, right. What else do you want? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think Sam is... It's coming on in what about an hour's time from now, and uh, he has some very important discoveries to report. Uh, I've just certainly been keeping tabs on him for the last uh, few months, and uh, I'm delighted that he's able to come on board and uh, share them on the other side of midnight. Me too. He's amazing. I, I love the way that he conducts his work, so different than the other researchers in Egypt. <laughs> And you'll hear about that. Yes. I mean, Sam is a one of a kind and he's certainly of the people for the people. He's doing everything he can to make the Bosnian pyramid accessible to all. And I know also, Timothy, that you're going to be sharing with us some information about a newly discovered pyramid that you found in Turkey. So... Looking for well, that as well. You know, it, it's an observation. Maybe it's a newly found perception, but I certainly didn't discover the the mountain or the uh, what I, I believe is a pyramid. But I think that you know there are far more pyramids around the world, around the planet, hidden in plain sight. And uh, I look forward to asking Sam about that shortly. Wonderful, wonderful. And I know that Aneta is going to be joining us in just a little bit as well to share some insights about where we are in this COVID situation that I believe will give you hope, give us hope, all of us hope, and move happening in the space age department as well, but you are going to share some more information on that, Timothy. Absolutely. There's a whole lot of links, as usual, just to keep you entertained about COVID, 5G, SpaceX, NASA, and more. So uh, we have a fully packed show, and I can't wait to to kick it off. So where would you like to start? 
Dear friends, Richard is really suffering from a strong migraine that took him out yesterday and today. That's why we're here. (laughs) Well, you know, Richard was so excited about the show. He made sure that I would send a link about SpaceX. Richard got out of bed. He couldn't miss sending in these two links. So the first link, the first news item is SpaceX just brought two NASA astronauts back to Earth in its Crew Dragon spaceship, kicking off the next era of human spaceflight. And comment by Richard is, beginning of the second age of space, spearheaded as we featured on a recent show, Elon Musk's vision. So that's pretty exciting news. Did you follow it at all? Truthfully, no, I've been overwhelmed with other things. I always ask the truth, but- uh, I know. Well, I- I did follow it, I have to say. I, Good, I did so please to... jump in. Well, I've also included this as one of my links as well. So uh, perhaps we'll come to it a little bit later because uh, I wanted to show sort of more detail uh, about the actual mission itself and also the Mars mission as well, which is, is also pretty significant. The uh, Perseverance took off um, on Thursday, I think it was Thursday last week. So um, two very significant uh, uh, missions. But um, what I wanted to say was that the thing that really uh, took my attention was that when, in, in both cases, when these, these two astronauts went up and when they came down, you know, it, it, you see all of the, the half and puff and the, the rocket engines take off and there's the smoke and the steam and, and you know, the, this projectile gets up to an incredible speed but it still took 19 hours to get up to the International Space Station and around 19 hours to come down. So I find it incredible that these guys, uh, as, as amazingly well-trained and prepared as they were, at a certain point, they literally sort of um, have what they call a sleep mode on the way up and the way down. So uh, just imagine that. You sort of all, all suited up and then you say, okay, guys, I'm going to put automatic and uh, let's go and lie down. I think actually in, in the actual um, Dragon uh, cockpit sort of below their, their driving positions or steering positions, navigation positions, whatever you want to call it. There are actually two areas, like two beds. You can actually sort of fold out or perhaps they're extended all the time. But in any case, you can lie down and get some sleep. How, how would you feel about that, Kintia? Would you like oh, to... Uh, be sweet to sleep among the stars. <laughs> that would be great. But, you know, I think I would want to spend the first few hours watching me leave you know, leave earth. I mean, what a view. Amazing. As an artist, I just think that would be so memorable. I don't know if I could sleep. I'd be too excited. Well, absolutely. Uh, but I think on the other hand, they have to pace themselves. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure how many days they were gone with the mission, but uh, they were up for quite a long time. And I, I think that unless you start pacing yourself in the same way as an aviation pilot uh, needs to work so many hours or concentrate so many hours before a break. These guys have to do the same, of course. So uh, as exciting as it may be, it's essential to keep a balance. But uh, is Annette here as well? Is she? I am. Good morning, a bull yet. Is Annette Driscoll (laughs) joining us? And you sent me a really amazing link number two, which is the medical impact of the lockdown. Yes, I, I really love that. Um, I 
I would love for everyone to actually take a look at that. It's 17 minutes and 50 seconds, and it's well worth your time. It really breaks down exactly what has happened, what's happening. Um, and it's, a, the, it's an interview with a doctor who is also an attorney. Uh, she's an ER doctor and an attorney, and um, she's very succinct and, and very clear about what we actually have going on, what the numbers are, are really looking like, what we can do about it. It's actually a very, very hopeful and positive video about the situation we're currently in. So that's why I put it up for everyone that you know to share it with everyone. There's basically different opposing, essentially two different sides of an opposing agenda. And I'm on one, which is the side that's being censored. And uh, and then there's this side that's being pushed down our throats. And, and I call that the fear-gasms. You know, it's like really fear-gasming <laughs> all over me, you know? And I and I don't... I can't... I, 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 I'm trying to figure out what we can do um, about that right now. But I think as a... Personally, we, we have to each take a stand around this. I know Timothy, I liked what he did. He, he took a screenshot of what they're putting up and and is circulating that, and he's getting some um, feedback, and it's getting some play on that, and that's a good thing. I mean, there's different things we can try. But when you look at our media situation, including social media, uh, newspapers, everything, every, every source of media, every source of media that we have, at least in the United States, 96% is owned by six individuals. So when you ask why, well, there is an agenda going on, and it's a pretty locked-down agenda because if you only six people controlling essentially everything that people are ingesting as far as what they think is news, you can see how easy that would be to manipulate. And um, that's very disturbing. And that's, that's an awareness most people don't, don't know. Only six people controlling 96% of the media. It's shocking. Yeah, so there's a really great example of that, the upper levels uh, controlling everything and having all of the, not only the money and the power, but the information. And so when, when it gets very de- uh, very dangerous, there's many people that have said, I'm, I'm not original in this thought, that we are actually in the middle of, and the, it's an information war. And uh, the quarry in this war is, is the human race. Um, and that's, you know... <laughs> It really comes down to it. I know that sounds dramatic and graphic, but it's the truth, I believe, and from the way I see it, from from looking at what I'm looking at. Yes. Well, I I could certainly digress further from this point, and it's a bit uh, to keep on track for a little while. Maybe we can come back to this shortly. you I know you did a lot of work to protect and uh, make this interview, this press release with the frontline doctors. Uh, is that link? That's number three. Yes, and- number number three and number four. Number four is the one where the uh, the doctors are meeting in front of the Capitol at Washington D.C. And number three, I, Dr. Daniel Erickson is reporting uh, from the front line. He's an emergency doctor and he has several clinics across California and is in interactive with hospitals. And he has been connecting with other doctors, ER doctors. And number three, he tells exactly what's happening in these hospitals and what's happening in the clinics. And what he describes is that 
disproportionately they've set aside all their resources for COVID-19. And what's happening is somebody who has a heart attack doesn't land up coming in to to get treated because they're afraid they're going to get COVID-19. And, you know, they land up coming in too late. It's just one after another that they're finding instead of the hospitals being overcrowded, they're almost empty to the point that some of them are about to close because they've focused all their energy on preparing for COVID-19 and it hasn't happened in the way that they were anticipating. And they're actually laying off staff. They're not overrun with patients. They are overrun with empty beds. Well, it's, you know, it's not so long ago that we were being told that these extra hospitals were required. I can't remember the name of them, but I mean, you know, hospital car parks were turned into sort of tented hospital wards. And uh, there was the hospital ship that we've talked about on the other side of the news that turned up in New York that was, I don't know if it was refit or it was converted or finalized, whatever it was, in record time. And I remember that uh, the president was criticized for going to see its launch and uh, he said, well, you know, I, I don't think it's really a big deal. I mean, I'm just going to go and sort of thank the people that worked hard to make the ship available for New York. I, I don't know the exact number of how many patients actually were finally put on board that ship in New York. But uh, I think it, it seems to, I seem to remember it's something like a hundred and something people as opposed to thousands of people, which it was uh, set out for. And all of these hospital wards that were put up in car parks, I think they've sort of disappeared as well. And going back to the media aspect, you know, how a small number of individuals, part of the minority, which I call them, hopefully giving a, a feeling of minority. But um, the, you know, it's not just in the United States. It, it's all over the world. These things have been set up. And it's, it's all over the world that uh, people are sort of uh, busting through the doors or, taking videos through hospital doors. I mean, if you can get past the armed guards with machine guns, that is, then you actually see that the hospitals are not busy. Uh, and that coupled with the fact that you have, I think, is it Medicare? Is it the United States system offering something in the region of, I think it was four and a half, four thousand six hundred dollars $4,600 for being allocated that amount of money for somebody who has a, sort of a lung issue. If, back in the days when ventilators were really, really important. If a PCR test, which even the inventor, Nobel Prize winning inventor himself said, this is not the right test for to measure a virus accurately. If, for example, the hospital was able to make this patient show a positive reaction to the PCR test, then I think that would go up to something in the region of $13,000 allowance. And if for any reason the hospital were able to plug a, or insert, I should say, anesthetize and insert a ventilation system to a patient, then they would be given something in the region of $39,000. So, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of very hardworking and caring people in, in the, uh, the hospitals around the world, but, but equally the, the strategy or the management that is controlling them is, is unbelievably questionable. I mean, Annette, I don't know what you think about that, but I mean, I know you've been doing a lot of research in that area. Is there anything that you have from your side that can sort of validate that? Well, I think maybe the most obvious thing is, is like, so why do we have armed guards suddenly at hospitals? I mean, 
What are they trying to hide? And why are we having heavy censorship? And why is there so much opposition to what, you know, what the people that are front line is the clear and obvious truth? So I don't have any verification on the numbers for what the incentive, you know, they've been incentivized. I do know that there is a difference in different healthcare systems and the way uh, hospitals are paid is my understanding from people on the inside of that end of the business model, that the way in the U.S. at least that we have this, that when people come into the ER, that there are incentives, but they've been giving massive incentives. And for a, um, a death, some of them are $54,000, by the way. I have heard that number more than a few times from different sources. So I don't know all of that in in precise detail. But the real question really, when I look at this whole thing is, so why are they so afraid of the truth coming out that this isn't the big boogie monster? And, you know, honestly, if they, and I'm, I'm going to go way out here on the limb and say, look, if they develop the virus, which I believe there's strong evidence that it was an intentional development, but, you know, that's from what I've researched. But if they went out and developed this virus, boy, it must be a terribly disappointing virus because, I mean, really, think about it. This, you know, you have to get a test to even know if you have it. It's so, it's so deadly and so, so virulent that you have to get a test to even know if you have it. Seriously, what, what's going on here? And, I mean, it's not about, clearly, it's not about a virus. It's, it's political. It's quite political. If it was... You know, if you go back to the simplest thing about a mask, it's it's not about um, safety. If it was about safety, a bandana, people wouldn't be wearing a bandana and having that count as a mask because it has a 2% efficiency rate at 0.3 microns. Well, 0.3 microns is about two and a half times larger, or yeah, larger than the, the largest particle of virus, particulate matter. So clearly... Even you know even the best masks that they have are not going to are, are not going to stop a virus. So it's not about our safety. It's about compliance. It's about doing other things in the agenda. This is my opinion, and I'm going to stick with it for right now until I have evidence otherwise. And my evidence is is, is piling up on this other side. I'd also like to add here that Dr. Daniel Erickson points out that because the hospitals are so empty that they're talking about diverting Medi-Cal funds that are earmarked for the clinics that serve the poor to the hospitals to keep the hospitals from going out of business. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, you're on the West Coast until fairly recently. I was on the East Coast. I was in uh, close to Miami um, for a number of months. And the some of the stories I was hearing there was also totally validates what you're saying and people sort of going in for uh, routine checkups for, you know, a heart condition or whatever it was. I'm not going to tell the, the name of the person's individual story for obvious reasons. But, you know, the, the reaction from this this man I was talking with was utter surprise. You know, he was actually quite apprehensive before this routine checkup. And he said, well, I went there and it was like a ghost town. There was, you know, almost tumbleweed running down the corridors because nobody was there. You know, he'd expected this sort of, you know, overcrowded, busy corridors, you know, danger of infection and so on. It was just empty like a ghost town. So it is absolutely bizarre. The, the numbers and they're laying see, off nurses, too. I've heard that mm-hmm. all around. Laying off staff. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which brings us back to the censorship part point, because, you know, on a number of people, a number of people who are now no more on YouTube, but they, they still exist on their own servers and they, they still exist on their own alternative platforms, for example, like uh, BitChute or Library and so on. Dell Big Tree was knocked off, I think it was last week, only a few days ago. Um, he is one of the the people behind Vaxxed, the movie Vaxxed 1 and Vaxxed 2, I believe, as well, which is essential watching, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, he's always been somebody who I thought was, yes, independent, yes, gives an alternative view from the mainstream, but absolutely, you know, is both feet firmly on the ground, holding on to facts as opposed to, you know, going out on the twig of conspiracy, which... Uh, you know, some people are branded with, but again, he's he's been knocked off as well. But uh, so I, I think it's also very important that people, these spokespeople, these uh, whistleblowers, is a bit of a, a strong term. But I think these people need support. I think that they've been kicked off YouTube. I think we should remember them and follow them to where we're going. Follow is a, is a big word, but let's just say, find them, connect with them, like them, to let them know that we are listening, and. Yeah. It's not just about you know, uh, you know, giving them a feeling of, of support, but it is also about exchanging information because, in my opinion, there's very little good information coming out of mainstream media these days. So from my point of view, I would say that this week has been about um, further endurance, endurance between the authorities uh, and the, the people, that's us, the endurance of you know how many more how many more times can the authorities take a U-turn? How many more times can we be patient to you know believe another layer of, of uh, information? Yet it contradicted the one from the week before, or two weeks before, or one month before, whatever it is. It's just becoming very very complicated. I think it's very clear that what we're hearing from you know the authorities, these people just alleged are supposedly looking after us and hoping better things for us. Uh, It it just doesn't make any sense at all. It's not about uh, the best way. It's just about uh, enduring this suffrage, which in my opinion, which they're they're putting our way. You know, one of the key aspects this week was the frontline doctors that made their press release in in Washington, DC. I think we've all, you know, uh, reacted very positively to that initially, but it, it's so amazing how 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 people react to this. I, I, yeah, it, it's interesting that how, how people different uh, react differently. I mean, the anger. I mean, if we just look at the anger for a second, I mean, sure, I'm I'm hugely frustrated. I'm hugely disappointed. The anger uh, anger is a big word. I mean, it, it does it does come into play. I have to say. I mean, for example, I'm I'm angered when. I'm told to do something which I don't believe in, which is like uh, wear a mask, for example. I, again, we don't want to go back every single time, but that type of confrontation with somebody who believes they have authority is trying to give me bad advice, which actually is actually harmful. That that makes me feel angry. Yes, it does. But I, I, I don't show the anger because I, I just think that most people, onlookers, would then therefore just imagine that I am somebody who doesn't really understand what the hell's going on, has lost the plot, so it must be crazy, and I'd be just thrown in the same bucket or in and judged in the same way as these doctors who stood up in uh, in D.C. this week. I'm not trying to say I'm a doctor, by the way, but it's just that as soon as somebody stands up and tells their truth, 
then anything is used to throw mud at them, to sort of bring them down, to uh, bring up some sort of negative, what can I say, sort of slang. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous, superficial. It says far more people, far more about the people who judge does about the people who actually stand up and tell the truth clearly. So, um, you know, they had over 10 million hits in like a day. And all of the media, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, they all slammed it. And I downloaded the video and I have it on our homepage of the other side of midnight.com. And I also have it in some of the other pages. I have it on this page tonight, too, as well. So I want to say that the fear that they're inducing, I posted it to some of my friends, and the reactions I got was like, you know, it was very unsettling to them. They didn't want to discuss the mask thing. And even, like I say, even my youngest son, who is a graduate from Cal, he's like, oh, that's not real. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Just like... I just can't believe how an educated person, an intelligent person, and there are many who just buy the narrative. They just buy the story as it is. And this fear that's going around, you know, with the mask, now they're putting them on the little children. I see them outside in the fresh air, in the sunlight with a mask. And I just I just don't understand it. It's heartbreaking to me. It's absolutely heartbreaking to me. And I don't know what it's going to take for this new, this younger generation to, to really get it that we are facing fascism big time. I mean, they're incredulous. They don't believe it. No, it doesn't. I I think that the, the key issue is, is just to, to listen. For example, I mean, I listen to all sorts of, uh, information every week. This week I've actually been very busy with other things. But what I want to say is that just because one particular spokesman or one particular person, their political or sexual or whatever you know personal um, interest is, it doesn't mean that I have to be a clone of them. They may well impart very very good information, and you know if somebody's a bit left. I put my left filter on, but I mean, okay, I'm going to listen to it because there's still good information. If somebody else is talking slightly more right wing, again, I put my right wing filter on and I can still obtain the good information. I think it's so important to see both sides of of every point. And I think that people just don't do that anymore. They just block what they, they feel and fear is basically what they don't know. So it, it's, it's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that pe- you know, the more people are, um, what can I say? Selecting based on the cover of the book, then the less they're going to know about anything. But they will have the illusion of knowing everything, and that's the dangerous thing. We also have the other. I mean, the world is constantly dy- dynamic. Uh, the other thing is, is that I can remember several years ago, I, I used to really enjoy, you know, uh, navigating around uh, YouTube, and the the reason was it was just an absolute world filled of. of uh, great information. I mean, obviously you need to be selective about it. Yeah, of course. But the point is, but today I have to say my, my YouTube is absolutely no longer my first, my first choice because it's almost because of the level of censorship, it's almost become, if it's going to be true, it's probably not going to be on YouTube anymore <laughs> in wow. my mind. That's the way I'm looking at it. And that's a very sad change. Uh, do you think that's a fair 
comment? If you go through our past shows, you're going to see so many videos that have been taken down. If this were really a democracy, then they would treat us as an adult, as adults that we can listen to both sides. But when it's the corporations who are editing and censoring that we don't even have a chance to hear the other side, what does that say? Who really is running these countries? It's the corporations. We don't have democracies anymore. We have corporate fascism. That's very sad. I mean, with this this uh, frontline doctors, um, what should we say, press press release? Um, I know that I I uploaded it three times. The third time I was successful, but it was banned twice. And I know that you worked hard to put it up, and I know you success you were successful as well. Okay, so we're at the bottom of the hour, and I want to let everyone know that they are listening to The Other Side of Midnight, and Richard would be with us, and uh, I'm sure he's here with spirit, and our guest later on in the show is going to be Dr. Sam Osmanagic. The show's title is The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramid. So we will catch you after the break. The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references headed through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. Clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, seven to nine p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril.
of Midnight, Richard C. Hoagland's other side of Midnight. Richard would be with us, um, but he's in bed. So your co-hosts tonight are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kim Thea. And later we will be joined by Dr. Sam Asmonagic. And Timothy, you had some interesting uh, things to share with us about what's happening in Turkey. And also, if you want to touch on your news items. It's your choice. Well, I'd like to not, before the break, we were just going through a number of news items and I don't think we've quite finished them yet. I think one is certainly very worthy of of mention. Um, And that is, if you go to the other side of midnight.com, you click on the show banner for tonight's show. The title is Kintia. Okay, I'm going to read it myself. I was muted there. The title is The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramids. Thank you very much. Excellent. And then we go down to uh, the news items and we go to point number five. And this is a very long and dry read, I have to say. But I think it is fascinating. It's something which I came by on the the Dollar Vigilante uh, about a week ago. And I've certainly read it through. It's pretty dry. And it's a PDF document. They need to set the scene a little bit. First of all, I saw it in, in a, uh, mentioned in, in a video. And I certainly took my attention, so I took a screenshot. And then I found the link. I went straight to the link, which was at the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health. So it's a pretty mainstream official uh, website. And it was posted originally on the 16th of July. And the title, which is quite, uh, quite amazing, and I'm just going to click the link right now in front of me, is 5G technology and induction of coronavirus in skin cells. And I'm not going to go through it right now, but I'm just going to give you a very quick overview. But this, this is one of the first or even the first time I've seen an official document which actually makes a tentative connection between the COVID symptoms um, originating from a 5G millimeter wave. Now, if you cast your minds back to the beginning of when people started getting censored, so go go back in the time of, you know, way before Max Egan, before David Icke, uh, go before a lot of other people have just disappeared off of YouTube. The reason, the initial reason for them being censored was they were mentioning the word 5G and coronavirus more or less in the same sentence, or they were inferring there was a connection. Now, it's very interesting that that hot potato um, has been almost like a, a hand grenade, which people have avoided. They've been calling things, uh, you know, uh, the crown virus instead of the coronavirus. They've been calling sort of, uh, you know, different language between the, word, the, letter, the number five and the letter G and so on to sort of differentiate between, to avoid the Google spiders or the, uh, you know, the analytical software from picking up on these things. Max Egan even found that he could um, 
put on some guitar music and uh, that would sort of fool the censorship robots. Um, and even I saw another person was reversing the image. So left was right, right was left. And that would also um, fool the analytical robots for a while. But all of those people making a connection, whether it's a conspiracy or it's a fact, they all fell by the wayside. And this is the first time which when I actually clicked, found the link, I clicked on the link, I went to the National Institute of Health website. And within literally within an hour and an hour and a half of me watching the original podcast where I saw this, this screenshot, I took the screenshot from the NIH had already uh, removed this official document. Now, luckily, somebody found it as a PDF document. And I would really like to invite uh, anybody who is technically minded or has an analytical mind to read through this and to offer your opinion. I'm in, in search of the truth. I'm not looking to be right or wrong. I'd very much like to know if this official looking document is real, if the information makes sense. Um, and because in my opinion, I think it, it's a controversial uh, and interesting document to, to check out. So much so, uh, I sent it to Mark Steele. Mark Steele is, is one of our guests we've had on the other side of Midnight and also more recently the other side of the news. He is a, a British guy who has actually taken the local council to court in Gateshead. Gateshead was one of the experimental uh, 5G towns where they lit up the town or the city like a Christmas tree with all different types of antennas. People were reacting very negatively to it. I won't go into too many details right now. And he is a uh, well-trained and experienced person in this environment of, of transmitters and millimeter wave technology. And one of his associates, managed to get hold of one of these transmitters, opened it up, and inside there was a great surprise because the actual technology within this transmitter was, in his opinion, uh, weapons grade. In other words, the beam, although it was not actually at that time being transmitted at a weapons level, the wiring and the infrastructure was capable of much higher voltages and much more power, which obviously is, is a very questionable point to understand. And then after that, a number, of the, uh, a number of people were falling more and more sick around the Gateshead area with all different types of conditions. And that's the point when people started monitoring what type of beam it was and, and how powerful it was. And these beams were measured uh, on a regular basis, completely and utterly off the scale beyond the legal government set limits. So... That is, uh, I, I shared this document with him. Actually, I'd just like to, before we go on too far, I sent it to him and I asked him just to have an open view look at it. And he said, hi, Tim, I have already reviewed. And yes, this has merit, but it also has a few questions. We already know that the ionizing radiation causes all of the coronavirus pathology. The post-mortem show this without question. The issue that we have to consider is that the radiation from the 5G transmitter is not non-ionizing as stated. The photon value at the part of the spectrum is, however, 
if you polarize the waveform, you easily exceed the requisite of 13.5 EV to cause ionizing in all atoms. It's why the near field in a 4G antenna is dangerous. The issue with 5G is that the beam waves that are long distance are ionizing. See Glasgow Kilgrid. That's the illustration in my links below. And then he goes on to share a map of Glasgow, which shows a grid system. And the reason why I want to bring this up at this point, I know it's very controversial, and I need to find which link that is. Moving around a second, I just need to move around my computer to the other side of midnight.com. Here we go. I need to go into Tim's news items in the fast links column. What we can see there is under one Mark Steele slash 5G, and that's also his website there, saveusnow.org.uk. If you go down to the third image, what you can see is a geometric shape, and that's actually a map of Glasgow with a one, two, three, four, five, six hexagonal shape, and those red dots are the 5G transmitters, and then the orange and purple and green different uh, colors show the degree and levels of the ionizing beams. So that's, I think, an interesting segue before we go into some of the questions I'd like to ask Sam later, because in the Bosnian pyramids, there are indeed all sorts of beams, certainly not 5G, but uh, a beam of an entirely different nature. And I think a healing beam is what I've, I've gathered from previous discussions with Sam. Annette, do you have, have anything to add about that? Or... Um, should we move on? Aneta? I was muted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious uh, to hear what Sam has to say about the healing beams. As far as the ionization, uh, yeah, I, I, I have read that what that, that paper said. It was a bit over my head. I understood parts of it, and it's pretty scary stuff. So, for sure, it's a combination of the shortness of the waves and the the oscillation, so that the pulsing, what what we think of as pulsing, that's oscillation on and off. So um, they're very dangerous. <laughs> Bottom line is none of that stuff's good. I mean, I I was in um, research and development in, and I worked in the radio frequency, very low level radio frequency, and high voltage. And I can tell you, unbeknownst to me, I, I really did some damage, terrible damage to my health. And I had paid for that. And this is and that's like child's play compared to what we're looking at with 5G. So this is terribly, um, this is very serious. And, I, and one, you know, kind of questions about this whole thing, the back to the virus idea, like why, do, why are they, you know, promoting this? this fear so much what's really really going on because it's clearly not about this virus and there is a connection with 5g and then it's like which pieces are the correct pieces you know is it about um the virus you know we're all on lockdown so they can cover up what they're doing with that is it to blame the virus for the effects that they know are coming with 5g why are they promoting 5g so much and I don't have answers to these. I'm just putting out the questions because these are things I think about and I don't have clear, concise answers. I have theories and I have ideas, but I don't have real concrete answers on some of that. I just would like to say that I think that the 
the virus is one side of a triangle. I think the 5G is another side, and I think the vaccine is the third side of the triangle. And I think very soon we'll know more about all this and be able to form much more clear views of what the whole strategy is. But um, let's let's put it on a break there for the moment, and uh, let's move on to something completely different. One of the things I, I had a lot of pleasure in, in finding in the last week was uh, an artist called, an illustrator called Tony Bella, and he is in my opinion, a, a wonderful illustrator. And he's been creating a lot of artwork you can see in my, my Tim's, Timothy's News, item number 2, 2.1, 2.2, 2.2, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.3, 2.
which I was very fortunate to visit recently. If we jump down to number five. So number five is Mount Nemrud. Okay, so Mount Nemrud, and that's sometimes spelled with a D, sometimes with a T. It's the same place. And that's something which I'd like to just focus on a little bit. Well, as I'm looking at this aerial view of Mount Nemrud, it's, I don't know how anyone could think it was just a mountain by itself because the land all around it looks very flat. I mean, like, what, it just popped up? I mean, it doesn't, you know, mountains usually come in clusters, and this one is all by itself, so I don't know how they could not see it as what it is. So Mount Nemrud is a something which, to me, uh, just absolutely caught my eye, and there's, there's no mistaking that it has had some uh, assistance in its, its sculpture. Um, <clears throat> if we go back to something in the region of 1882, when it was actually first, I say first discovered, let's just say first discovered in the current history timeline, um, it was discovered by a, uh, a railroad engineer who was um, no idea why he was up in the mountains, but I guess they were looking for a way to communicate from one side or the landmass to another. Where this is situated, uh, Namrud is right in the southeast of Turkey. So it's actually very close to the Euphrates River. So it's right you know, next to the sort of cradle of civilization area. Um, the railroad engineer, uh, Carl Cessna, uh, reported that he had climbed this mountain. And you imagine how hot and arid it is up there. It, it's, it's pretty hot this summer in Bodrum, and that's by the seaside. But you imagine climbing up a mountain over there, and uh, it's, it's around 2,000 meters, which is about 7,000-something feet above sea level. And what was very, very interesting was that he reported seeing these huge, what he thought were Assyrian statues. And these statues, just to give you an idea, they're about five or six on both sides. And on the number five Mount Nemrud, you can actually see there's like a sort of a, a complex built on both sides. That's actually the east and the west. What he thought were Assyrian statues are actually around 36 feet high. The heads themselves of these, these faces are six feet high. When he arrived at the summit of this mountain, what he thought was the summit, what was amazing was he noted that there was a plain at the top of the mountain. And uh, then a further mount, which is another 40 meters. So that's what, 131 feet or something. So it, what it looks like is there was a mountain and somebody decided to sculpt off the top um, to make a plateau, uh, leaving a not perfect pyramid, but something which is certainly pyramid shaped. And uh, either side build these huge um, sort of array of statues. And those statues on further examination actually had Greek letters on them. What I can do is suggest you jump down to N1 or N2 in, in, uh, in my radio pictures, my links, and you can actually get an idea of this, this pyramid-looking form above the mountain around the plateau. And these, these huge statues uh, with faces, and uh, I believe if you go down to N3, you can really start to see something which I think is not looking terribly natural. N4, you can see again. N5, you can actually get closer up and see some of the 
the sort of the architecture, the sculpture, the style, and so on. And just as while I'm here, N6 is a little drone shot. So that's quite a nice thing that you want to do maybe when you have some spare time, but just click the play on there. And a drone basically takes off somewhere near the summit, flies away and gives you a real perspective of the shape. So what was very interesting is that the, the inscriptions were very legible. You, you can actually still read them, but there were many sort of uh, battle damage words or letters missing and so on. So the Carl Cessna went there and uh, he was able to record the inscriptions and obviously translate it because the letters were in a, a language which was you know, understood, which is Greek. And that's an interesting question that Greek language was you know, inscribed so far away from Greece. Okay, Cyprus is below out to sea, geographically speaking, but you know, the actual mainland Greece is, is very, very far away. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it's, I don't know exactly how many hours drive it is today, but you know, with a boat and a, a car, you'd probably take, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm just making it up, but let's say 15 hours drive across Turkey. And then you'd then still need to take a boat from uh, the west coast of Turkey to Greece. So, I mean, it's, it's a hell of a way uh, away from where you'd expect to see Greek inscriptions. Now, the inscriptions. I think it's not as old. It's Greek. It's not as old as like the Egyptian pyramids. Yes and no. I mean, yes, what we see on the top surface. That I agree mm-hmm. with you totally. Yeah, but in and as I think as Annette has already you know pointed out earlier, that a lot of these, uh, a lot of these monuments, they are the top veneer, the top level, the top surface, based on something which is much older. Even if you look at the Great Pyramid in Giza. You know, a lot of people say that the actual pyramid itself is a much later construction built on the foundation and, and the, the grotto below. And in fact, there are a lot of other pyramids around Egypt which take the form of foundation without any form of uh, pyramid built above it at all. And yet that shaft and that lower level uh, passageway is, is all beautifully aligned with the, uh, the stars. Um, but yeah, not a lot of people... The other thing that comes to mind is like in Egypt where later civilizations are sculpting into the older one to make it look like it's theirs. They're adding inscriptions that aren't theirs. It's like somebody doing graffiti on a wall or, you know, etching out on a tree. True. So they could have come later and added their Greek characters to an ancient monument. Well, absolutely. Um, That could be the case. But uh, this particular case, the um, what was thought to be Assyrian seemed to be much older. And uh, these statues, by the way, were also thought to be early representations of the early pantheon of Greek gods. So um, that's also interesting why they should be parked up on a mountain all the way across Turkey. So in my opinion, they may well be markers and uh, something which was highlighting a much earlier civilization, which is common to both Greece and that area itself. So, you know, we're going to be close to the break here, and I'd like to just touch on the, uh, the last link that I have in the news section number six, which is Egypt tells Elon Musk its pyramids were not built by aliens. And that seems a really good segue into what Dr. Samas Monagic is going to be presenting later. 
Why would they be now commenting about that? Why are they like referencing Elon Musk? Well, that that's a big question. I mean, Elon Musk is uh, certainly uh, the talk of the town these days. Um, well, okay. go ahead. I, I believe I believe Elon Musk put a um, something out on Twitter saying that they had to be built by aliens, and then the response was actually from Egypt saying that they had not. But you know, that only leaves two possibilities: they were built by aliens. A or B, they weren't built by aliens, but maybe they were built by a different civilization that we've lost track of. You know, I'm for that third possibility. I think it was us, but an ancient civilization that's been lost and forgotten. Right. So, I mean, there's like, like everything else, there's oftentimes more than one or two black and white viewpoints. And um, I think that another thing that we see going on here, again, is this polarization of, of thinking you're either this way or that way. But what if you're kind of in between? Or what if you believe some of this and some of that? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of big on that. Um, so this, this applies to everything from the pyramids to the COVID situation. And it's Oh, we're, uh, you know, we've got to be very careful. And what Timothy's saying about supporting um, people to, to not have them ostracized is, is quite important um, because this divide and conquer is is a very very powerful technique and you must not fall prey to I see it this way and you see it that way so we can't be friends or whatever that's that's craziness um, I believe in getting a, I, I believe in, in listening to the opposing views that you may glean some wonderful wisdom from it so I think it's absolutely essential to listen to both sides of the line. I mean, otherwise, how can we form where the line lies in the sand? You know, it, it's, it, it's essential to see both sides. I'm not going to shut off one side because I'm going to discriminate you know, from my imagination or my fear. Mm. It's, uh, we're talking about that on the show, on the Friday show the other day, actually. We were just sort of saying, you know, well, if you're listening to somebody who has more socialist views or right-wing views, it doesn't mean that you are instantly following those people. It just means that there is some good information in there and one can gain a good perspective. He's You're on the some... other side of midnight and our guest tonight is Dr. Anna Radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought.
Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. Pleasure to have you here. The show tonight is called The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramids. To find the show page, go to the other side of midnight.com. Our guest tonight is Dr. Samir Osmanagic. He's a Bosnian born Houston, U.S. resident, author, researcher, and businessman. He discovered an ancient pyramid complex in Visoko, Bosnia-Herzegovina, consisting to date of 11 artificial structures, which includes pyramids and tunnels. And he also established a nonprofit and non-government archaeological park, Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun Foundation, to pursue the excavation and geoarchaeological work. You can find out more about him in his extensive bio on our webpage. Dr. Sam, welcome to the show. Are you with us? Hello, guys. I'm with you. Very happy to Oh, be- how fabulous. How fabulous. I want to let you know we also have two other co-hosts on with us. is uh, Timothy Saunders and Annette Driscoll. And we're so excited to hear what you're going to share with us. I regret that Richard couldn't be with us tonight. I know he really wanted to be, but... The show should go on. I agree. So. Yes. Well, in the previous few shows, we talked about the discovery of the Bosnian pyramids and about the construction aspects and energy aspects, which was Richard's favorite. And uh, today I would like to share uh, a lot of new updates. Number one, be, yes, number one will be about the astronomical aspects. Number two, sacred geometry. Number three, discovery of the new entrances to the prehistorical tunnels. And number four, about the healing aspects of the Bosnian pyramid energy. As you mentioned, back in 2005, I discovered the first European pyramids in the heart of Bosnia. Bosnia is in southern Europe. Before that, for 25 years, I had been researching, investigating pyramids all over the planet. My PhD was about the Mayan pyramids in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Belize, and Mexico. And then I expanded my research to pyramids in Peru, Bolivia, China, Kocher in Cambodia, Western Java, Indonesia, Australia pyramids, Mauritius, 
Sudan, Egypt, of course, Canary Islands, Spain, Greece. So obviously the world of the past was the world of pyramids. In 2005, I'm coming to the Bosnian town of Visoko, just half an hour to the northwest from the capital city of Sarajevo to visit the local museum. And then, wow, I'm seeing this, everybody called it hill because it was covered by soil and vegetation. However, I could see the perfect geometry, four sides, four triangular faces, obvious corners, the same slope from bottom to the top. I took a compass, it showed me the perfect orientation of the sides to the cardinal points. We started digging as a nonprofit foundation back in 2006, Everywhere we are digging, we are finding artificially made concrete, better quality than what we can make today. This is a short. In the meantime, this project has become the most active archaeological site in the world. Every year, hundreds of volunteers are coming to find new concrete blocks with us, to find new tunnels, to find organic materials, to find artifacts. This is the first large-scale project that not only allow, but invite volunteers, no matter their experience, from eight years to 84 years. In the last 10 years, 3,550 volunteers from 63 countries and six continents. So, it's been the most exciting project also. We have proven that pyramids were not built as tombs for kings. However, they were built as a huge energy complexes. On the top of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, we have detected and measured an energy beam, which is electrical in nature, 28 kilohertz frequency, it is focused, continuous, because we've been measuring during all seasons, winter and spring and summer and fall. And finally, this electrical beam moves at the radius of 13 feet, and then it expands to 70 feet, coming back to 13, 70, 13, 70. And according to the physicists and electrical engineers, these were the Tesla's scalar waves. So we know that the scalar waves or torsion fields, they can move quicker than the speed light than the speed of light, meaning they are ideal medium to transport the energy and information. So the first potential purpose of the pyramids, the communication device. So this is shortly what we've been discussing in the past. So what I would like to share with you today. May I ask a question? Yes. Yes. So when you speak of the pyramids communicating energy, is yes. it is the energy is it happening by a beam from the top of the pyramid or is it happening under in, through the earth? <laughs> well, the pyramid is very complicated, complex we discovered that, number one, the shape of the pyramid is the best amplifier. It simply amplifies the natural sources of energy. 
under the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, which is, by the way, the biggest and the oldest pyramid on the planet, all the 30,000 years old. Under the Pyramid of the Sun, we have several forms of energy. Number one, we have huge iron plate or iron ore. Iron generates electromagnetic field. The pyramid amplifies this field. Number two, under the pyramid, about 70 feet below, we detected the underground water flow. Water moves, it releases negative ions. The pyramid amplifies those negative ions. So we have a huge concentration of negative ions in the pyramids and the pyramid tunnels. Number three, 170 feet below the pyramid is another water flow. Between two water flows, we have a charge, an electricity. Pyramid amplifies this electricity, making this an energy beam. Number four, during our excavation process, on the pyramid walls and in the pyramid tunnels below, we are discovering a lot of quartz crystal. And quartz crystal has the ability to transform one form of the energy, for example, electromagnetic field, through the piezoelectrical effect to another form, ultrasound. And we do measure frequency of ultrasound of 28 kilohertz. This is known as the levitation frequency. So now we can see that actually the pyramid amplifies different forms of the energy. And then shooting this energy beam, electrical field, shooting it right up. Now, we were thinking that uh, probably it is about 90 degrees to the sky, but it mm. is not. In the morning, this energy beam is moved a little bit to the east. As we know, the sun rises at the east. At the noon time, this energy beam is directed to the south. As you know, the noon time, the sun is, is exactly on the south. In the afternoon, southwest. In the evening, west. What does that mean? Does it mean that this energy beam is communicating somehow with our sun, using it as the cosmic gate, and then communicating with other solar systems and other galaxies, establishing a cosmic internet. Well, at this point, this is just a speculation, but it seems that everything is connected in the universe, and there, are, there is a two-way communication between it the cosmos. It certainly seems to be tracking the sun, for sure. Yes. Uh, Dr. Chmanswich, this is uh, Keith Morgan, discoverer okay. of the Morgan Curve on Mars. I'm also your audio engineer for tonight. Um, I, I've got you in my hero list, okay? <laughs> because when you first came out, you stood up to the bullies and the, and the naysayers, and every time you came up with something that said, hey, this shows it is artificial, I work on probability. When you came up with four items, I said, that blows probability away. When you came up with five items, I said, we're getting too good here. And when you got to seven, I said, this is the real deal. Now, now when you got that recording that you did on the top of the pyramid and you dropped the frequency down into the hearing range and you heard that, uh, it sounded like a communication going on. Yes. I kept saying, I heard that sound somewhere before. And I actually, 
when I was cutting my grass and I hit these large weed or leaves in the yard, I'd hear this sound. It sounded like that, almost like it's a rotational modulation. And I'm wondering if that is probably what's going on here. And the whole concept of using the sun as a portal to send the communications from one galaxy to the next or the next solar system, I think you're dead on. We just don't know how to do it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, that modulation, because I worked for ABC News for 30 years, an electronics technician, and I've heard a lot of stuff. That sounds like it is some kind of rotational modulation that we have yet to come up with. But I think it's simple to, to, to decode. We just have to figure it out. And you're my man. <laughs> Keep it up to good work. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Like you said, it was item after item after item. First, it was the geometry. Mother Nature simply does not make hills with the four triangular faces. The second one, it was the orientation. Through my research all over the world, I've learned that the ancients built the oldest, the biggest, and the most superior pyramids with the perfect orientation to the cardinal points, east, west, north, and south. When I say north, I mean cosmic north, geographical north, not magnetic north, which really moves every year between Canada and Siberia. So, for example, all Chinese pyramids, 250 of them, are oriented to the north. Cambodia, Kohker Pyramid, north. Gunung Padang, Indonesia, north. Now, 155 Egyptian pyramids, not 118 as a non-scientific uh, Wikipedia is claiming. 155, because you know I visited, researched all of them. They are all oriented to the north. Why is this orientation so important? We know before and after, and especially from Tesla, Everything is energy. Everything is vibration. Our planet is huge energy ball. You have energy ball, you have movement of the energy. And two strongest energy flows on our planet, north-south, east-west. You build four-sided pyramid, perfectly oriented. It automatically initiates the movement of the energy within the pyramid. So we have like a circular, spherical movement within the pyramid. And guess what? The chambers in the Great Pyramid of Egypt, they call them queens and kings for some reason. You know, they are exactly on the way of this energy flow. They are exposed to this energy. That's why the orientation is so important. The error from the perfect north of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, or Cheops, is zero degrees and three minutes. Kafre. Zero degrees, three minutes. Nicarinos, zero degrees, 18 minutes. Bent pyramid, zero degrees, 12 minutes. Red pyramid, zero degrees, five minutes. Bosnian pyramid of the sun, zero degrees, zero minutes and 12 seconds. This, is, this, this was one of coincidences. And then we have artificially made concrete, we have inner passageways, we have underground tunnels, we have quartz crystals, we have all these sources of energy. And a very important factor, which I would like to mention today, elements of sacred geometry. The most important elements, the number pi, 3.14, golden ratio, golden section, 1.618, of course, equilateral triangle, and so on. Take, for example, the Great Pyramid of Egypt. The length at the base of the sides, 
231 meters, tone length 462 divided by height 147, the result is 3.14, number pi. Well, they are telling us that the uh, Great Pyramid of Egypt was built by the fourth dynasty pharaoh, Chaos or Khufu. Of course, it was built much, much before, more than 12,000 years back. But even if it was built 4,550 years back, the number pi will be officially invented only 2,000 years later by ancient Greek mathematicians. But it is there. In a similar way, we can find the golden ratio, 1.618, inside the pyramid, and in another one, the, all three pyramids are sitting on the line of the golden ratio. And the swing is sitting on the cross of the golden ratio. But the golden ratio is also there. The ancient Egyptians, they did not have this knowledge. The distance between our planet and the sun is incorporated in the Great Pyramid of Egypt. The distance between our planet and the moon also. And we have the speed of light. All of this stuff in the you know, Great Pyramid of Egypt. What do we have in Bosnia? Now, we know that those three pyramids in Egypt, let me, say, let me just say one more thing. Uh, they're saying, you know, from Robert Bouwal, 1990s, Graham Hancock and the others, that they match the layout of three stars of the Orion belt. So we have a triangle there. Now, when it comes to triangles, you can put three dots in unlimited number of combinations, and you are getting different triangles. But only one is equilateral triangle. And guess what we have in Bosnia? When we connect the tops of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun with the Bosnian Pyramid of the Moon, the length 2,180 meters. Moon to dragon, 2,180. Dragon back to the Sun, 2,180 meters. Meaning we are getting perfect equilateral triangle. So this is perfect geometrical shape. And as such, it is part of the sacred geometry. So now, this is very, very obvious. And then, golden section. The top of the sun pyramid, you start from there, on the line of the golden ratio, is the top of the love pyramid, and two more shaped hills. And then, we have two major rivers there. You know, they meet uh, in uh, the heart of the Bosnian Valley of the Pyramids, if you start from there. Again, we have top of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, and one more structure, which we call the Tumulus, in the village of Vratnica. So it's seen that the ancients were playing with the elements of sacred geometry. Why? Because once you have them, you have movement of the energy. It has always been about the energy for the ancients. But their concept of energy was much more advanced than ours. Look at what we do. In the last 300 years, the coal, coal industry, dirty industry, oil and gas, in the last 150 years, limited resources, nuclear technology. You go from Chernobyl to Fukushima and back, it's still radiating and poisoning us. So everything we do with the energy is expensive, it's dirty, and then we have all those you know, power plants, and then we are getting 
frequencies, they are so harmful. You know, in the Europe, we have 220 volts and 50 uh, watts, in, in 50 hertz. In the U.S., 110 volts and 60 hertz. You touch the loose wire, it kills you. You know, if you got the, the cell phones, 2.4 giga, or now with the 5G, from 2 to 100 giga, all bad frequencies, you put it on your ear, you know, it starts burning your brain cells. Everything we do with the energy is so wrong. What is the result? You have less than 1% of the people who base their monopole on this expensive energy, and you have more than 90% of the people who struggle in their daily life. Instead, the ancients were using the shapes, pyramids, elements of sacred geometry, energy potent places, different form of natural resources, and they were getting energy which is unlimited, clean, and free. So two concepts, much to learn from ancient people. And when it comes to amplifying the natural frequencies, the natural sources of energy, the energy that you got through the pyramid, even though it is rather subtle and soft energy, it's so beneficial for us. We have noticed when people go to the Bosnian pyramid tunnels, and it's a huge network, you know, it runs for tens and tens of miles. They breathe so well. People with asthma or other respiratory problems, they got out, they don't need air pump inhalators, no more, at least for three or to six months. People who are coming with a high blood pressure, it gets normalized and they come back. People with a high sugar, high glucose in the blood, they come back, it drops for five or six points. People with the pains, pains are gone. People with the even very serious diseases, we can see revolutionary health improvement. So we've been thinking, what's really happening? And we always measure, because when you can measure, you can prove, and it is called science. I often say, for me, archaeology is not science. Archaeology, you know, they teach you in the schools to find, you know, ceramics, to find the primitive tools, and then you compare ancient Greek, ancient Rome, uh, Egypt, and so on. But physicists, electrical engineers, sound engineers, telecommunication engineers, they have instruments. They can measure. And then you can come back with your instruments, and you can measure. So you can prove that. So doctor, doctor. You, yes. Um, you said you found uh, some artificial ceramic-looking stones, but they're really huge, but they have something embedded in them. And you said they're, they're resonating, they're putting out their own energy. Is that true? Well, yes. In the tunnels, we have discovered huge blocks. We've analyzed them at the Institute for Atomic Physics. Physics. They applied two very sophisticated measurements. One was... Uh, uh, Diffraction analysis, Rengen diffraction analysis, the other one was phase analysis. So what we were told was that it was definitely ceramic. Interesting thing is we discovered it under the layer of conglomerate. In that layer, we discovered pieces of wood, organic material, which we analyzed. The age is about 30,000 years. So somebody had the ability to make ceramics more than 30,000 years back. Now, below this uh, block, we have underground water flow. Inside the block, 
Once you try the georadar, we were told there was an oral object, a mineral quartz crystal. So, below the block, underground water, water moves, it uh, releases, you know, negative ions, other types of the energies, it activates this quartz crystal, you know, starts working, it is surrounded by ceramic, ceramic resonates, generating two different electromagnetic fields. The first one is 7.83. <clears throat> of course, in science, this is called the Schumann resonance. This is the natural resonance of our planet. And it has been like that from 12,000 years back until 1990s. After that, we've been producing so much bad electromagnetic fields, EM smog, you know, using our laptops and computers and cell phones and TVs and microwaves, all this bad energy, electrical grid and so on. This energy has to go somewhere. This EM going to the ionosphere above us, putting pressure on our planet. It started, you know, uh, oscillating higher, 8 hertz, 10 hertz, 12 hertz, 15 hertz. You go to Wikipedia, they will tell you it's impossible. Western researchers are saying it's always 7.83. Well, it is not. People from Finland, Russia, Bosnia, we've been measuring it. You know, if you are in contaminated cities, it is about 15 hertz. If it is in the nature, 10 to 12 hertz. In Bosnian pyramid tunnels and on the Sun Pyramid, 7.83 hertz. Why is that important? Well, we've been born at 7.83 hertz. You know, we also resonate. This is our perfect energy field where we feel in the balance. However, in the last couple of decades, we are not in the balance anymore. We live in a different energy field, and we feel that as a pressure. And we remember a couple of decades back, 20, 30, 40 years ago, everyone lived differently. It was so much more calmer, you know, more balanced. The time wouldn't pass so quick like today. Today, you wake up in the morning, you don't have time for anything. It's a pressure, it's a stress. May I just jump in because I love listening to what you're saying, but I have so many questions that I don't want to backtrack too far. We're just coming up on a break in a couple of minutes. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was how are the angles of the pyramids, the sides of the pyramids, do they, in between the sun, the moon, and the, uh, the dragon pyramid, for example, how do they uh, relate to each other? Well, Are they similar, different? Once you, have, once you have, first, let's see about the layout. Once you have the equilateral triangle, the inner angles are at 60 degrees, which is amazing. When it comes to the slope, well, the Bosnian pyramid of the sun, it is 32 degrees, 32 degrees. When we go back to Egyptian pyramids, out of 155 pyramids, it's anywhere between 28 and 66 degrees. As mm-hmm. we remember, Great Pyramid of Egypt, 52 degrees. It yes. seems that this slope was very important for them. There is another one in Egypt, very interesting. It's called Bent Pyramid. Bent. Why is it called Bent? Because it is actually bent, you know, after one third. Over there, we have two degrees. We have 52, and we have 43 degrees. Why is that important? Well, the Egyptians are saying, well, this is because, you know, they started building it, and then they realized it was not structurally stable, so they changed the angle from one 
Um, I don't wish to cut you off, but we're just coming up on a break. All right. Um, we are listening to the other side of midnight. We'll be back shortly. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Search the archives. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. the other side of midnight. We have a really amazing show tonight with Dr. Sam Osmanagic. It's called The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramids. And I'm totally fascinated with how you're describing the, the alignments and the golden mean and how the energies are flowing. And Timothy, you were just exploring a topic before the end of the, the break, if you want to pick up after that. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Well, one of the theories I have about the pyramids is, is because there are, I don't know how many there are around the world. You've counted now, Sam, but I mean, it's a lot more than most people are aware. Are we in the hundreds or are we in the thousands of pyramids around the world, do you think? Well, in China, we have 250 pyramids. Very important. 250. Yeah. Yes. Very, in the central province of Shanxi, near the city of Xi'an. But 20 of them are real big, superior, the oldest. They are built from sandstone and granite. Those mm. that came later from 2000, and those, the first one are more than 12,000 years. Incredible, incredible. And those that came later, they were built from the mud bricks, inferior material. You know how they teach us in schools about evolution? Before we were primitive, today we are technologically advanced, well, it does not apply here. 
In uh, Cambodia, we have pyramids. Indonesia, we have pyramids. Australia, pyramids. Seven pyramids on Mauritius. 155 Egyptian. 224 in Sudan, Nubian pyramids. 104 Canary Islands, most of them on Tenerife. 300 in Peru, pyramids in Bolivia. More than 100,000 pyramids in Central America. Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Belize, and Mexico. And finally, in the U.S., we have today 120, originally more than 250 pyramids located in what's called today Cahokia National Park, and they call them Cahokia Mounds, but they are clearly stepped pyramids. In Europe, three Palencia pyramids in Spain, 16 in Greece, five complexes in Italy, and of course, the Bosnian pyramids. And I believe one or two in Turkey, but uh, perhaps we'll come back to that shortly. But uh, I mean, we're looking at, if we add them all up, we're looking in, what, excess of a thousand at least. Yes. Yes. Hundreds of thousands. Well, you know, uh, three years back when they applied the LIDAR technology in northern Guatemala, in the area where they thought there were no cities, you know, there were Mm -hmm. no people, they discovered 60,000 new structures, most of them pyramids, pyramidal terraces, and then temples, bridges, roads, and so on. What else is in the jungles of Central America? We can just guess. But what I do know is that about 95% of the Mayan structures are still covered in those forests and jungles. Well, that, that's hugely exciting. And LIDAR, uh, just for any of the listeners who is not entirely sure, LIDAR is it's a laser system which can yes. actually scan the ground from an aircraft or a drone and through selective editing uh, in, in a three-dimensional way later, post-editing, the sort of the trees and the grass and, and the, the organic material can be removed, revealing the stone and natural rock. Yeah. And it's absolutely an, an astounding what can be seen. Have you, have you done any LIDAR around uh, the Bosnian pyramids, Sam? Yes, we have, back in 2012. And then, uh, of course, uh, LIDAR technology helps us exactly to remove the greenery even the constructions, you know, like the, the, the houses that we built. And uh, until then, we thought that the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun is about 220 meters, about 725 feet in height, which was much bigger than the Great Pyramid of Egypt. However, with uh, lighter technology, we concluded that the height of the Bosnian Pyramid was about 1,200 feet. So it was really amazing and then it also helps us to you know understand the relationship between different pyramids and uh, you know the ancients were always looking at the sky and the way they would lay out their structures would tell a lot about the relations between them for example during the most important day for the ancients which was of course the summer solstice usually june 21st sometimes june 20th or 22nd so during the summer solstice, we were checking the movement of the shadow of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. As the sun moves on the horizon, the shadow moves in the valley. And just before the sunset, the shadow passed the moon pyramid and it creates like illusion of another pyramid, one next to each other, like you're looking them in the mirror. And the 
Bottom of the shadow touches the bottom of the moon pyramid. That's and the incredible. height exactly the same. So now we know that they, those shadows, they, they play with the structures. And then in the midsummer, in August, we were checking the shadow of the sun. What happened just before the sunset, the shadow completely covers the moon pyramid and top of the shadow touches the top of the moon pyramid. And then during the fall equinox, September 20th to September 22nd, the shadow this time creates another pyramid, but not on the right side, like during the summer solstice, but on the left side, you know, to the uh, northern slope of the moon pyramid. So the architects are kind of highlighting a virtual pyramid, something that's not there in two dimensions. imagine, Imagine, you know, the calculation that you had to do before you built those structures. And then we have another structure, which is called the love pyramid. It is, seems to me, it is like a shaped hill. The shadow of the love pyramid during the fall equinox exactly covers the top of the moon pyramid. So it's amazing. You have those elements of sacred geometry, golden ratio, triangles, now the shadow dances. So, I mean, it's... An, it's a genius. It's a genius. And the more we learn about the complex, we know that all the heights and the angles and the slopes, they simply had to be that way. One of the things that I was just about to mention before you came on, and we had a little bit of a uh, technical issue before, so our, our uh, feathers were a little bit ruffled in the first hour. But um, one of the things I was about to mention was the in Egypt, for example, there is what, something which some people, um, especially people like Zawi Hawass, who like to sort of offer, let's just say, mainstream, but not necessarily 100% truthful um, histories about the monuments, in my opinion. But the Unfinished Pyramid, uh, which is also known as, I'm probably going to murder this, but uh, Zawiyat al-Aryan, um, this is one of at least three sort of what they call unfinished pyramids. In other words, it's a pit in the ground. It's a plateau. It's, it's a squared out shape. It, it's aligned with the stars. It has a shaft. Many of the features which are also seen in the Great Pyramid, for example, and many others. But it's almost like that was like a test bed or maybe a much older um, study to you know, confirm alignment or validate uh, the, the, the passing of stars or the procession of the equinox or whatever it was. I, I'm, I'm just speculating. But do you, do you see that in, um, in Bosnia that the pyramids were created or let's just say re-engineered or whichever way they, they were? But I mean, to me, they, they, they're obviously not a natural um, sort of piece of geology. There's obviously some hand been involved in there to create these incredible shapes. Um, but do you, do you think that there are a difference in age? Do you think there's like an evolution of one being earlier than the other or, or something along those lines? Well, this is what's my experience. Uh, the Bosnian pyramid complex, we know the best because, of course, we can do dating. For example, first we had Institute for Pedology that uh, analyzed the age of the soil. The soil on the Bosnian pyramids is 15,000 years old, meaning the structures below are much older. And then mm-hmm. on top of the blocks, concrete blocks, on the Sun Pyramid, we discovered organic material. We did dating. It was 
24,800 years plus minus 200 years. So it's about 25,000 years. And this is the minimum age because it was on the top, on the surface of concrete blocks. And then we discovered more organic materials, fossilized leaves between two layers of concrete, between two you know, rows of, of concrete blocks. And the age was 29,200 years plus minus 400 years. That's now, this incredible. Is, yeah, this is radiocarbon date. Now, uh, in order to get the calibrated date or calendar age, you need to add about 14%. So the real age, and this is the official age that we use, is 33,600 years. How is that possible? That they teach us in schools that the first civilizations were Sumerians 7,000 years back, and then 5,000 years back, Babylon, Hittite, Akkad, Assyria, ancient Egypt, ancient India, ancient China. Well, they teach us wrong. This is just the last cycle of humanity. Before this one, there was another one, which basically stopped 12,000 years back, the, the end of the last ice age and huge catastrophes. Before this one, there was another one, 18,000 years back, 32,000 years, 55 and 75,000 years back. So we have at least five civilizational cyclists in the last 100,000 years. When the Egyptian pyramids were built, well, we know that when El Hamnun, 1,200 years back, the guy who, you know, the Arabs, when they came and they uh, violently broke into the Great Pyramid of Egypt, they discovered at the lower uh, levels the seashells and salt. Well, the last time when Mediterranean Sea flooded the area, you know, from Giza to Mediterranean, it's about 130 miles. The last time was exactly 12,000 years back with the end of the last ice age when the, you know, huge quantities of water melted and the Mediterranean Atlantic went up, you know, uh, causing the great floods. So it means that the pyramids were already there during the last flood wave 12,000 years back. The same situation with many other structures around the world. When it comes to Chinese pyramids, the Chinese archaeologists in 1967 went to the conference in Japan and he said there are 250 pyramids in the province of Shanxi. He found some type of clay tablets with hieroglyphic writings, which he partially deciphered, saying they were more than 12,500 years old. And he also said, this is interesting, he said that after the cosmic accident, these people, you know, the beings, they ended up on our planet. They could not repair their spaceship. They, you know, stayed on our planet, continuing the tradition from their own planet, building the pyramids. And indeed, the oldest pyramids are the biggest in Egypt, what they called the third, fourth, and fifth dynasty pyramids. They are the biggest, the most superior. Those that they came in the 12th or 18th or 19th dynasty, they were from the mud bricks. So we don't see evolution there. We see totally opposite process. Somebody had great technology in the distant past. Absolutely. So an interesting question. I mean, I, I was very recently uh, 
lucky enough to sort of drive past Troy, the ancient site of Troy, and there are nine levels of steep um, yes. archaeology there. Now, I'm, yes. I'm not making a direct correlation, but my point is the lower levels seem to be far more beautifully built than the upper levels. I mean, even in you know Troy, whenever that is dated in relation to the, what we're talking about now, even that same principle is in play there, that the older the, older the work, usually the better it looks. And uh, it's just our perception. Oh. You're absolutely right. You take two major sites of importance. For example, Machu Picchu. They tell us Machu Picchu is royal retreat for Incas. Incas were in the area from the 12th to the mid of 16th century. But when you go there, there are four distinctive construction styles. The first, the oldest, are blocks, 250 tons in mass. And the chemical analysis shows us that they don't originate from there, from Machu Picchu, from eastern Peru, but from Bolivia. So how were they airlifted there? (laughs) Yes, somebody moved 250 tons from Bolivia. And even today, there are no access roads. There is a train from 1960. So how would, how would we do it today? Probably use maybe three helicopters, you know, trying to move this one block. That was the first, the oldest, the biggest block. The second one, they had blocks that were tens in tons. They had six, eight, or 12 different sides, different co- corners, you know, polygonal blocks. The third one had all the same blocks, about 500 kilos. And finally, when those civilizations were long gone, Incas are coming there. They are rediscovering this lost city. And they are using the small stones, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 kilos. They are making, you know, they are separating the walls. They are making little chambers. They are putting the primitive roofs. And this is where they were bringing their royals. So four civilizations, the first one, the most advanced. You go to eastern Lebanon, to Baalbek, where the mm-hmm. biggest blocks were discovered. You know, when I was there, you know, 10, 15 years back, there was a block 1,250 tons. In the meantime, three years back, the German Archaeological Society, they uncovered below that one, even a bigger one, 1,650 tons. I mean, these are huge masses. Just 20 years back, our civilization had a capacity of 350 tons. Today is different. Today we can, you know, move even 3,000 tons. But 20 years back, 300 tons, and there are blocks of 1,650 tons, much before the Phoenicians and mm-hmm. ancient Greek and ancient Roman who came later to this particular site, building their temples with much smaller blocks. So, yes, um, yes. May I ask you? If, if we establish, just put on the table, that there is a, a will by an organization, a group, uh, a mentality, to educate us in a, in a different way, where we think that you know, everything we do now is amazing and everything before was primitive. Yes. Clearly, that, that's a, an erroneous uh, yes. philosophy. So may I ask, who, in your opinion, is the they? Who, who is it that is trying to give us this perception that we are now modern and everything before was you know, primitive. Do you have an idea? Is, is there a yes, group, a tradition? Course, of course, it is very clear to me. We have something that's been called elites. Elites has the monopoly on knowledge. Why? Because 
from the distant past, we can find the connection with the previous very advanced civilizations. You know, some of them, they are called Atlantis, Atlanteans, or Lemuria, or Mu, or, or Og civilization. Why is it important to find that connection? You know how the stories about the Hall of Records, that it's been hidden under the Giza Plateau? Well, it seems that the gentleman who you mentioned earlier, Zahi Havas, starting mm. in 1999, digging under the left cone of the Sphinx, they discovered the tunnels, they removed the huge blocks, they entered the passageway, and they did find this Hall of Records or library of mm. Atlanteans with the, with the great knowledge. Why is that? Why is it important to get this connection with the, with the ancient civilizations? People would be asking the questions first, technologically, what did they know? But also spiritually, it seems that there was a way to get hold of the technology through the spiritual realm. And if you were able to do that, if everyone was able to do that, then our abilities are becoming unlimited. The next well, important thing, yes. As I was going to say, I mean, I totally believe that we all have that ability in, in, in each of us. Uh, we yeah. all have a, a ability to connect perfectly with the universe around us. I think yeah. we also have the ability to resonate with what I call the signal. Some people may call uh, spirit or God or any number of other different uh, uh, sort of perceptions of, of the universe. But in my opinion, I, I like to, personally, I like to keep my feet on the ground and I, I don't often take a leap of faith. I like to have some form of evidence in my hand or I like to have some logical collection of dots before I, I'm prepared to sort of go out there and you know, put a theory on the table. But in my opinion, I believe that we all have this ability to connect. And at the moment, the elite is, is working very, very hard and perhaps sweating a little bit under the collar right now uh, because they're trying everything they can to break our connection with the universe and, yes. and, to, and to give us the perception that we are actually useless unless we can connect 5G to the fridge or the dishwasher or whatever it is because... You know, that would be so important, wouldn't it, to be walking down the street and suddenly have a, uh, a message come into my mind through a, a Bluetooth device to say, oh, I now I need to pick up some new uh, softener for my dishwasher or something along those lines. I mean, it's so far removed from, I think, our true identity. From our true nature. Exactly. A doctor. You're completely uh, right, yes. You're completely uh, right, uh, you know, we have actually, we do, all of us, we do have unlimited uh, uh, abilities. The thing is, less for, the end, for the elites, the less we know, the easier to manipulate with us and to control us. Now, imagine this. Besides the five physical senses through which we can, you know, realize about the physical world, we have 30, three zeros, spiritual senses. So we can understand much more about the world beyond the physical reality. In our tunnels, for example, we have little experiments with the people. When they come, when our people come to the tunnels, you know, when they open their hands around those big ceramic blocks, 
they can feel the energy. Well, feeling the energy is not a physical sense. That's a spiritual sense. With a little practice, they can see human auric field. With a little practice, they can see the colors in our energy fields. With the more practice, they can see chakras. With the more practice, they can even develop telekinesis. They can move objects with the power of their mind. And then with the travel with a, with a little training, or a little bit more than a little, and with a, if you have energy field strong enough, you can move through space and time. If you can move through space and time, it is called teleportation. And imagine this. Instead of learning in the books, for example, about Napoleon, how in 1799 he went to, from France, he went to Egypt, he conquered Egypt. Instead of that, why don't we move ourselves through astral projections or some other form of the spiritual you know, uh, sense to the past and see for ourselves? Absolutely. Doctor, yes. Doctor, one of our colleagues isn't here with us. Uh, it's Andrew. He has a question. He yes. said, uh, in your perspective, have you come across anybody strange or unusual since you started uh, – researching the work on the Bosnian pyramids. And he doesn't mean like secret service or individuals or government, police, et cetera. Rather, someone who, for all intents and purposes, normal looking in presentation, but somehow feel different. Okay, you know? I, I, the, the connection was unstable. So can you repeat that question, please? Okay, he said, have you come across anybody who in all intents and purposes looks normal, but they feel strange, but they're not government or anything like that, that uh, once you started your research, did they come approach you about your research and try to discourage it or anything like that or tell you not to look into it? Well, this project is different than any other. Usually, huge archaeological projects are fully controlled by the government through universities, museums, departments of archaeology, and so on. In our case, I have established the non-profit, non-government foundation under the name Archaeological Park Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun Foundation. Since I am financially independent through my business in Houston, Texas, I'm also intellectually independent. Nobody can tell me what to say, what to think, what to publish, where and how to analyze, and so on. So whatever we find there, we publish. And as I said, we open the projects for volunteers from all over the world. They can publish on their, you know, YouTubes, vlogs, websites, whatever they want to do. So no secrets in our case. As far as that question is, has anyone approached? No, nobody has approached me. There was a lot of pressure. You know, parts of the governments were against the project. No permissions, no money, and so on. The cultural establishment, almost completely against the project. Archaeologists, geologists, anthropologists, historians, museum curators, they were writing petitions against us. The uh, European Archaeological Association writing a petition against us. Fortunately, the Bosnian government, at least the part that issued the permission to work, they said, keep 
working. Don't worry about the jealous scientists. So today, 15 years later, we are still in business. We grow a lot. And the interesting thing is, now we started purchasing. Sam? Yes. Before you go to the next piece, I think what Andrew was hinting at was he was probably wondering, and I think I'm saying this for Andrew, I think he was probably wondering if you had been approached by anyone who was a vibration other than just a regular okay, human. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the connection was unstable. I haven't heard the full question. Uh, the answer is no, not not directly, and not in a bad way. However, if you ask me about different vibrations, about different beings, well, yes, in the underground tunnels we have a lot of different uh, entities. Some of them are not visible. Some of them are even visible. Some of them you can you know, film on your camera. Some of them we call orbs. We have, we have three or four different entities that you can film there. People who are very sensitive, they can receive the messages. Some of them are saying they are tall beings, they are not of this planet. So we have a lot of, a lot of different experiences in the last 15 years. And the good thing about this project, I don't limit the project to the archaeology only like Egyptologists are doing in Egypt or some archaeologists in Peru, China, or Mexico. We are open not only for physical scientists, but for spiritual scientists also. And so the answer to your question is no, we did not have bad entities. We haven't had them, you know, to try to block our ways and so on. Thank you. I think you answered this question very well. Groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
show page, go to the other side of midnight.com. Our guest tonight is Dr. Sam Osmanagic, and the show is called The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramids. And Sam, we were just talking about the frequency of beings that you're encountering in the pyramid, not only physical beings, but etheric beings. And I, I am fascinated by that, I'm sure. Because um, I love the fact that you are keeping the research open to so many ways of divining information, that you're not limiting it to a purely linear perspective. I think as we're moving forward as a species, we need to be more inclusive. And I love that you are making this open to the world, to and inviting all these volunteers, over 3,000 volunteers, that's amazing. So thank you for that. And where would you like to pick up? Well, in the last couple of years, we have discovered four more entrances to a prehistorical underground tunnel network. Why the tunnels are important? Well, under the Giza pyramid in Egypt, there are at least three levels of tunnels. Why haven't the Egyptian government, Supreme Council of Antiquities, opened them for the public in the last hundred years? Because they are so old and they are part of the complex and they would prove them wrong that the Egyptian pyramids were built 4,500 years back. When I was in China talking to the Chinese archaeologists, I realized that all the pyramids have tunnels underneath. And then the Mayan pyramids, my PhD dissertation. I wrote in my books 15 years back, 20 years ago, that, you know, the tunnels will be discovered there also. Until that time, they thought there were no tunnels. But then, hey, Palenque, under the pyramids, Mayan pyramids in Palenque, they discovered the network of tunnels that ran for kilometers, for miles and miles. Under Teotihuacan pyramids in uh, Mexico, you know, north from Mexico City. They discovered tunnels on the Sun Pyramid, Moon Pyramid, Quetzalcoatl Pyramid. Well, in Bosnia, you mentioned that in introduction. First we discovered, we call it KTK tunnels, and then Rame tunnels. But then in the last three years, we discovered four more entrances. So we have six entrances right now. The whole valley of the pyramids were in those tunnels. We discovered Two levels of tunnels. The first one is a labyrinth. It's a huge network of tunnels, chambers, passageways, intersections, underground lakes. But now we discovered the entrance to second level, and most probably there are between three and seven levels of tunnels. In one of the sections that we, uh, we were working there last year, 2019, there was a section of about 200 feet, and our volunteers, archaeologists, and geologists are working there. In the, since it was open, people could approach it in the past. We found artifacts, 3,200 of them, from different cultural layers. 
We find them from the late Middle Age, early Middle Age, Byzantine times, 1500 years, ancient Roman times, 2000 years, you know, ancient Illyrian times, about four to 5,000 years. And you know how sometimes people who never been there, the skeptics or people who attack us, they're saying, oh, Dr. Sam is digging tunnels, you know, by himself. Well, imagine 3,200 artifacts. You know, have I planted those artifacts? But you no. must be very busy, Sam, because well, if you're actually planting yeah. them. And, and then, uh, yes. d- yeah. And doing have, a day job as well. Yes. And look at this scenario. Somebody built this network 3,000 years back. And then somebody else, 5,000 years ago, they closed all the tunnels. They filled them up with the filler material. They built hundreds and hundreds of drywalls. So, and now we are clearing, you know, the filler material and drywalls. We put the, you know, wooden support and we move towards the pyramids. So, if it was me, first I built, then I closed, and then I, again now I'm cleaning them, I'm planting all those artifacts. People don't know, they don't realize how huge this underground construction complex is. But when we think about the purpose of the underground tunnels, those tunnels, they are not for the communication purposes. They are not just to go, you know, under the ground from one structure to another one. No, it's a labyrinth. And then we realize it has something to do with the movement of the energy. Once you have one straight long tunnel, the energy does not move. But when you have a labyrinth, the the energy moves in circles and it moves towards the pyramids, especially pyramid of the sun. How do you know that? Because the pyramid has the power. It pulls everything underneath. It can be energy. It can be water. In 1979, a gentleman in, near Chicago, he built so-called gold pyramid. And he was building it on his property. It was a clay. Clay is waterproof. As he was finishing, completing the structure, he could see water coming on the surface. He completed the pyramid. He got a huge artificial lake, meaning the pyramid has this power to pull the stuff from underneath, water or energy. So when such a huge quantities of energy rush towards the pyramid, the pyramid, you know, with this energy, it's getting very strong energy machines. When you close all those tunnels, energy movement, energy flow stops, the pyramid from strong becomes weak machine. We can still measure certain very specific frequencies, 28 kilohertz and so on, but it does not work properly anymore. This energy being, yes. I was just wondering, so you're talking about the labyrinth and the flow of energy in it. And I was wondering if, do you think that perhaps that was also because of those energy passageways, it was for initiations that you would find yourself in some altered states if you were going through this labyrinth? Or was it too much energy that it would be harmful to someone going through the labyrinth? What we can see today, this energy does affect us in a very beneficial way because, you know, these are the natural frequencies. This is not the 5G or 3G or 4G. This is not, you know, 110 volts or 220. These are very subtle, very soft energies. So as far as, you know, right now, I could say very beneficial. But in the tunnels, you have 
different places, different feelings. Some places are good for healing. Some places are good for spiritual activities. For example, around our you know, most famous block, which we call K2, it's excellent for spiritual activities. I mean, over there, you know, you relax so quick, you meditate. And, uh, you know, I would have groups, you know, they would do like astral travel, astral projections. So uh, it seemed that they had uh, special places for different activities. And yes, the spiritual activity was one of them. Kintia, mm. you were mentioning about uh, like a perhaps a journey it could be something similar to the journey of the underworld like uh which is we read about in myths and also there's the i believe is the uh the way that there's a journey taken underneath the labyrinth of the pyramids in sort of in mythology ancient egyptian mythology where um whereby people need to go through a, a challenge and then come out the other side uh, of the journey into the underworld and then have a your heart weighed. Is, is, that, is that something? Am I, am I mangling up stories at the moment, Sam? But uh, is, is there like a journey, like an initiation taking place when people go in these tunnels? It is possible, and I'll tell you why is it possible. When we opened the tunnels, you know, my archaeological goal was from the entrance, which is 1.4 miles away from the pyramid. It was to reach the pyramid. And we're going to come, looking on the you know, topographic map, our entrance is about 280 meters, about 900 feet below the top. And when I had Russian geophysicists, they told me they were measuring with the geoelectrical equipment from the top. They said, 900 feet below, you have network of tunnels. So I want to connect you know, those tunnels. But as we were clearing the tunnels, we could see that the energy parameters, energy properties are getting higher and higher. For example, the concentration of negative ions. You know, when, you, when you're outside, it's about 500 negative ions per cubic centimeter. You get inside 1,000, 1,500, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. We measured yesterday. We had like a couple of uh, air ion counter, you know, the instruments from Alpha Lab. When we measured yesterday, 33,000. As we go deeper, the concentration of negative ions is getting higher. Negative ions are very good for our bodies. They clear our body, you know, from viruses, bacteria, fungi. They clear the atmosphere. They raise the level of oxygen in our body. So they are clearly beneficial to us. But the concentrations are higher and higher. Then we can see Natural radioactivity, there is none of natural radioactivity. The harmful cosmic radiation, not present in the tunnels. There is no signal for Wi-Fi. There is no signal for the cell phones. Deeper you go, it seems that the energy properties are getting stronger and more and more beneficial. So I would say as we are getting closer to the pyramid, we will have, you know, this energy field which, which will be more and more beneficial for us. And it's very possible that the vibration that will be getting higher and higher. And maybe it's a good thing that we move rather low because we need to clear those, you know, closed tunnels because we adjust ourselves. Maybe it would be too much that we expose ourselves immediately to the strong energy radiating out from the pyramid. 
I can so, imagine uh, that that uh, the elite, whether they be the royals or the priesthood or whomever, probably had long extended lifetimes by doing initiations in those tunnels or participating in different... Well, that's, yeah, that's excellent note. You know, uh, a few years back, I had a conference in Barcelona, Spain, and the brilliant electrical engineer, Dan Winter, was there. <clears throat> he was listening very carefully all our proofs about the healing aspect, and he said, you know what? Those pyramids were built by ETs, and they used them for the rejuvenation. And really, when it comes to the healing aspect, you know, we can see that all these elements, the absence of the bad energies, you know, no cosmic radiations, no radioactivity, no Wi-Fi, no cell phone signals and so on, good energies, presence of good energies, the best electromagnetic field, the best ultrasound frequency, levitation frequency, the high concentration of negative ions. You know, when you enter it, the body cells don't have enemies. For the first time in their life, they can start doing their real job, and that is a regeneration process. We have people coming with a different individual health challenges. I mentioned sugar or blood pressure or pains or tumors or cancers. There is like a little supercomputer in our bodies which decides what is the priority. If you have pain, Pain is a priority. They start fixing your pain if it is sugar and so on. So now we can see the regeneration process. And sometimes in a very short period of time, let's say in a week or so, we can see amazing healing experiences. And even though I always say our foundation is not uh, doing any healing, we don't give medical guarantees, but we share testimonials from many people from all over the world a beautiful testimonial, and I'm so happy to see that it is beneficial for them. So, when people come to Bosnian Pyramids, it can be for any number of reasons, like archaeology and science and energy aspects and spirituality and healing. And then plus, like it was not enough, we purchased 15 properties next to each other. It was swamp, it was muddy, it was trash everywhere. We transform it in one of the most beautiful parks in Europe. And now we have stages for concerts, for festivals, for fairs. We have yoga platforms. We have meditation platforms. We have botanical gardens, water fountains. This is park of flowers. You know, a beautiful stuff. People stay. And then I'm giving the entrance to the park for free. The parking is for free installations, beautiful labyrinths of energy, labyrinths of love, labyrinth of purification, labyrinth of health. It's all for free. We have conference hall. People come, they do their lectures, presentations, meditations, biotherapy, always for free. And people ask, okay, why didn't you build a hotel or a restaurant? So I said, listen, I'm not here for the commercial reason. I'm here to give people back that feeling of freedom. We are born free. Let's go. <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> yeah. And the moment, you know, we are born, they are telling us you can't do this, you can't do that. According to the law, you are not allowed. Well, screw that. You know, we have this little piece of paradise, this island of hope. During the corona pandemic, you know, this was the only place which was open. People were coming here. 
At that time, you know, people could, you know, people over 65 years old, they could not go out. People younger than 18 years old, they could not go out. They would come to our park asking me, can you get in? I said, of course you can, please, you know. Walk, you are in the nature, get some immunity, enjoy your life. The blessing. I'm delighted to hear that, I have to say, because uh, yeah, that absolutely uh, resonates with what we've been uh, pursuing for, for months now. And uh, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate. I've visited a number of ancient sites around the world. You mentioned Palenque earlier, Chichen Itza, various sites around Uxmal, around you know, the Mayan peninsula uh, in, in Mexico and Egypt and other places. But I have to say that I think very, very high on my list, if not the top of the list now, is I want to come to the Bosnian Pyramid. So uh, how, do, how do we get there, Sam? What, how do we go about well, uh, visiting? You come to the capital city of Sarajevo, International Airport. You can fly through any of the cities like Munich or Vienna, Austria, or Zurich, or Amsterdam, or Zagreb, or Istanbul. And I fly, you know, I fly uh, uh, with Turkish. Turkish is very good. You go Sarajevo, Istanbul, Istanbul, Houston, or Sarajevo, Munich, Munich, Houston, or so you know, either Germany or Austria or Turkey or you know one of those countries. And the place is just 30 minutes uh, from the capital city of Sarajevo. It's of course a small town. It's about 40,000 people municipality. No five or four star hotels. However, thanks to, uh, to our project, you know, 15 years back, it was zero tourists in this town. Now, you know, it's about 60,000 people who come to visit the pyramid. When we started, you know, 13, 14 years back, people would come for a couple of hours to see what's happening, like a transit visitors. But now they stay for a week, for 10 days, for 15 days, for three months. And, uh, you know, Bosnians, you know, the hospitality is a great thing here. And you stay in the places they have a three-star hotel on a booking. Five years back, nobody was on a booking.com. Today, it's 220 facilities. The smaller places, you know, you know, houses or apartments or little hotel or hostels. But one can find, you know, decent accommodation. Uh, if somebody wants to go to five-star, of course, Sarajevo is just uh, 30 minutes away. But accommodation is really irrelevant. What makes sense is to visit the site, to spend time there, to meet people from all over the place. Unfortunately, now, with all this lockdown, you know, the borders are closed. You know, we open just for, for people from Serbia and Croatia. Uh, somebody slipped somehow from the U.S. or France or Germany via Turkey to Bosnia. But in the regular, you know, uh, environment, you know, we have people from all six continents and they are having fun here. And the atmosphere, the energy is simply different. It's so positive. It's, uh, you know, harmony with the nature. And, you know, people love that. You know, when you go to Egypt, it's really, you know, you go to Giza Plateau, you have all these vendors, you know, the camels, the rides, the horses, pay this, pay that, you know. But it's mostly commercial now. Plus, the story has nothing to do with the reality. But in Bosnia, it's still, you know, genuine. It's still unspoiled. It's, it's different, you know. And people come and they see others with the smiles. When we work, it's different than 
any other archaeological site. I know when I would go to Egypt, I would like to, to talk with people in Saqqara sites, where you no know, Joseph's pyramid is. You know, archaeologists is never there. You try to talk to the workers, you know, they can tell you anything. Always confidential stuff. You come to our place, you talk to volunteers, you talk to me, you talk to archaeologists, you talk to media, you talk to visitors. It's always, you know, uh, this interaction in a beautiful way. Everybody with a smile. No secrets. That's very important. When Zahi started in 1999 with this deal, you know, under the Sphinx, I was going there. I could see they had wooden pallets above this hole that they were digging. They were digging it at night. During the daytime, they put the wooden pallet. I went and I spoke to Giza director. I asked him, what did you find so far? And he was telling me, oh, it is strictly confidential. Why is it confidential? The cultural heritage of the world belongs to all of us, not to Egyptian Supreme Council of Antiquities or British government or, you know, whatever agency are there. It belongs to all of us. The same it's, thing goes for Chinese or Mexican or Peruvian or other side. They mm-hmm. found the truth of ETs. They found thousands of artifacts. Why would they hide them? This is our history. If there were contact, of course there were contact. Let's talk about it. Let's see what we can learn. Instead, it goes to different, you know, militaries or different, you know, agencies. I don't think so. I think, you know, we should all know about that. And uh, this is part of our experience and part of our, you know, road, part of our path. We need to learn. That's why we said in Bosnia, no secret. And that's why people feel you know, this, this, this freedom, physical and spiritual freedom. And Doctor, Sam, you brought up the point about the, uh, the pyramid of the sun, the moon, and um, I forgot the third one. They, they create an equilateral triangle. Um, sun, moon, the, dragon. Yeah, the dragon. On the surface of Mars uh, in the Zidonia region, when I discovered the Morgan curve, um, I used angles to to show that these uh, mounds were spaced exponentially. And I rotated the same length ray, 45 degree angle, and it cut through two other mounds at the same distance as the two that it was originally cutting through because it was going through three of them. And you connect the fourth and the one at the same distance, you get a perfect isosceles triangle, not a equilateral. You go to the end of the ray, you connect those two, you've got a much bigger isosceles triangle. So nature doesn't do this kind of stuff. And, and that's one of the things that just, you know, flew up a flag that said, this is artificial and nobody's paying attention. I think what covered these things to, to bury them the way they did, I think it was probably what caused the Easter Island statues to be buried because there was a major flood, but it was because it was a tsunami so huge that encompassed the entire planet. You could see it from space. And it just dumped sediment on all of these places. While they got buried the way they did, Gobekli Tepe and so forth. But um, when you see the math, the math can't be hidden because even though it's buried, the math is still there and math is the key to the whole thing. Exactly. Math, geometry, that's the language of the universe. On the Mars, isosceles, I agree with that. I mean, it is so obvious. In our case, we have also isosceles triangle. It's between the stimulus and the 
sun pyramid and the entrance of the tunnels. Now, uh, I, I agree with that also about tsunamis. You know, uh, the last tsunami, the last big tsunami from December 2004, which was 25 meters, about 85 feet in height, uh, it killed 225,000 people in, in Indonesia. It was 85 feet. Now, imagine 3,000 feet. Three, 3,000 feet tsunamis uh, during the, uh, the, the catastrophes, uh, you know, with the end of the last ice age. So many structures were wiped off from the face of the planet. 99% of humans were gone forever, 99%. So those who came, uh, you know, from the underground uh, tunnels or uh, natural caves from the top of the mountains, they had to start from the beginning. Have you it found any of the 19.5 uh, angles in the alignments of anything? The 19.5 is kind of, uh, be, you know, it's pro- part of the hyperdimensional physics that Richard's been bringing Hello. up. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, you okay. just came back. So, go back to Pepe. What we have there, uh, we have those big uh, megalithic T-shaped blocks. There is you know, while Dr. Klaus Schmidt, late Klaus Schmidt, uh, he uncovered four circles. The Turkish government in the last three years uncovered four more circles. When I spoke to the late Dr. Schmidt, he told me there are probably 100 circles. So, you have 100 megalithic circles, at least, been covered, covered by filler material, which consists of pebbles, rocks, sand, ground animal bones, and ground human bones. So even though Dr. Schmidt was saying, oh, it was, you know, uh, covered in a hurry, but the indication that we have ground human bones might tell us something about those who covered this huge site. And how did they treat humans? I also heard that the sand is not indigenous to that area. It's, come, it's been shipped in from somewhere else, which I guess could be a sort of a scenario, um, the result of a tsunami or a flood scenario. But uh, let's talk about that um, on the other side. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight.com. Our guest tonight is Dr. Sam Osmanagic, our co-host of Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. And we look forward to continuing this conversation.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 cents an episode. Two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. other side of midnight. Your co-hosts tonight are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kim Thea. Our guest tonight is Dr. Sam Asmonagish. Go to the other side of midnight.com. And the title of the show is The Newly Discovered Hyperdimensional Astronomy of the Bosnian Pyramids. And before we speak with Sam, I just want to make a quick announcement regarding the other side of the news which is our Friday show from 7 to 9 p.m. I just learned from our podcast creator, Robert, that we now have a special dedicated podcast for the other side of the news. So now we have two podcasts. One is for the other side of midnight, and the other is for the Friday show, the other side of the news. So coming back to you, Sam and Timothy, you were 
engaged in a question there. And Sam, where would you like to go from here? Are you on mute? Was it Tim or Sam? Uh, well, both. both of us. <laughs> okay, okay. Whoever jumped in first. Well, Keith, Keith was uh, suggesting that there was a huge tsunami. And uh, Sam, you've talked earlier about the end of the Ice Age around, what, let's say, 12,000 years ago, the Younger Dryas uh, event, which perhaps brought us out of the Ice Age earlier than perhaps a normal thaw. Um, the difference in sea level between now and then has been estimated at something in the region of around 125 meters. So the sea level now is about 125 meters higher than it used to be. Um, in feet, that's going to be what, I don't know, uh, 300 and something, 400 feet difference. So therefore, it's fairly logical to think that what we're looking at as sort of islands or small islands in the ocean are in fact just the tips of mountains that used to be parts of much larger islands, which means that, you know, people like to live in, uh, close to the sea and the coast. Um, so maybe a lot of the sea level has been uh, engulfed previous civilizations and a lot of the, uh, the architecture and the uh, archaeology from before. Does that work with you, Sam? Of course. Well, what we know is that uh, the level of uh, Atlantic Ocean rose 120 meters. You're right. It's about more than 400 feet. That's the level. But imagine tsunami. Tsunamis were thousands of feet. Imagine this power and the strength. It was simply destroying everything on its way, whether they were structures or human communities or whatever. So only a few of people, they, they save themselves by going to underground passageways or some big caves on the top of the mountain. So when they got out, there was a discontinuation of knowledge, civilizations, and they had to start from the beginning. And this is much more powerful than what we can create. It's a natural process. Our planet is much stronger than we are. But when you look at the cause of, so obviously 12,000 years back, it was a, some type of the natural catastrophe, but initial, initial point was maybe a cosmic catastrophe. We know that between the Mars and Jupiter, there is an asteroid belt. It used to be a planet. Yes. Something happened to this planet and huge pieces of rocks, pieces of planet were going everywhere. Some of them hit our planet, our mother planet, and then the most vulnerable uh, was the uh, volcanic soil. Volcanic, because volcanic, you know, it, you know, once you hit it, it goes up and down. It started volcanic eruptions, it started earthquakes, it started tsunamis. So that was 12,000 years back. I think what's interesting, you, yeah. you mentioned the, the, uh, the asteroid belt. What I was reading just uh, only a few days ago is that the general uh, direction of rotation is the same. In other words, it still perhaps has, was still carrying some of the momentum that that ex-planet uh, used to carry. So that's the same direction, the spin of that planet is now seen or measured in the direction of the rotation of the, the, the parts which are left of it. Yes. And that's fascinating as well. Yes, definitely. 
And it seems that one of the catastrophes 32,000 years back was caused by the, you know, huge, immense solar flares coming from our sun. And we have one 55,000 years back. That one was probably caused by some, uh, you know, chemical weaponry, which is telling us that one of the civilizations, maybe the first phase of the Atlantis, they started developing their technology and it went in the wrong direction. And finally, the one 75,000 years back, of course, that's a huge uh, uh, volcanic eruption in the Western Java in Indonesia. And uh, it's also an unimaginable scale. And you couldn't see the sky for years and years. So it's a combination, sometimes natural disasters, sometimes, you know, caused by some of the civilizations. And if you go even back in the history, the traces of the nuclear wars, some, you know, outerworldly powers. So I would say our history is so much more interesting and richer than what they teach us in schools. Undoubtedly. I think, uh, as we said many times before, history is written by the victors. And uh, I think it, like no other time before, I think we all have the illusion that we're smarter than ever before. Uh, but in actual fact, we're probably more dumb than we've ever been before as a civilization. Yeah. Now, what we have, like, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm a researcher, open-minded scientist, but I still apply scientific methodology. I always look for the proofs. I look, you know, how to measure, how to analyze, how to date, and what's been discovered. For me, the biggest uh, and the most important artifact in, uh, from Egypt is so-called Turin King List. It is located in Egyptian Museum in Turin, Italy, and it's a huge papyrus. It's about five meters, you know, 17 feet long papyrus, and it gives all Egyptian rulers. Now, in, in the last 5,100 years, 5,500 years back, you know, we had the King Menem who united Upper and Lower Egypt, and then you have Sons of God. That's how Egyptian pharaohs called themselves. Pharaoh, that, that word is coming from ancient Greek, thousands of years after, you know, some of those Egyptian rulers. Sons of gods is actually just the last phase of Egyptian kingdom. Before this one, there were demigods, semi-gods. Every one of them would rule Egypt one, two, or three hundred years each. And the phase before that, the phase number one, the first phase, the era of gods. They descending from the sky, establishing kingdom on earth. And every one of them would rule Egypt for 1,000 years each. And the first one came 42,600 years ago. 42,000. So I believe that the, the most impressive Egyptian monuments, pyramids, obelisks, and monuments like the Colossi of Memnon or Abu Simbel, they are not built by the pharaohs or whatever, 19th dynasty or 4th dynasty, but by real God, God as our, you know, as the humans saw them at that time. And that's Egypt. So it gives us this you know, time window, 42,000, 
then it makes much more sense than just 5-6,000. And then, if you go more to the east, to Sumerians, even more important uh, thing that was discovered, it was Sumerian king list. Now, Sumerian king list goes back much further in time, 273,500 years. 273,000. And the first gods, of course, gods again, who descended from the sky, the first god, like Alulim, he would rule Sumer for 28,800 years, and Alajar for 36,000 years. And all other rulers after the first two, in average, 30,000 years. 34,000 years, something happened. Remember those solar flares? And after that, the rulers would rule Sumer, 1,000 years each, which perfectly match their counterparts in Egypt. So the history on this planet, so we have some remnants, some artifacts that can tell us that, yes, we had more advanced civilizations. Those beings, they, were, they lived much longer than we do. And if you live 1,000, not, not to mention 30,000 years, of course you look like a god to Homo sapiens. Wondering, uh, in terms of the king's lists, the two different king's lists you, you quoted just now, is there any bridge between them? Are there any sort of common king? On, the, on both lists, so that one, where one ends, one begins, or no, is it they're no, totally the different? No, the Sumerian king list, it is, a, it is a, a huge block. So somebody, you know, uh, engraved those names in the stone. Somebody really wanted somebody else to be able to sign that later no, and no, not, no. not be no, washed away. We don't have the same name. No, we don't have the same name. And, uh, you know, these are two different areas, two different territories. So... Uh, were they communicating among them? Probably yes, you know, 30,000 years back, 35,000 years back, but the names are different. But what I was referring to was the, the fact that where, if there are nas- uh, uh, disasters, international yes. disasters, cosmic disasters, floods, yes. tsunamis, and so on, yes. then it may well explain why at Baalbek and other such places around the world, there are absolutely huge blocks because they really wanted these buildings to survive for the children, the children of the children thousands of years later to, to sort of, for us to, to rediscover our origins. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother to carve out the stone, which is, you know, 1,500 tons. Uh, do, you th- do you think that there's anything to that? I mean, the, any validity to that? Uh, 1,500 tons can save you a lot of work, you know, instead of, you know, cutting and carrying thousands of blocks, you just, there are a few of them, so it is much quicker as long as it doesn't matter the mass. If you can move 1,000 tons, you know, but it's really more practical. The second thing, they would be using uh, the best type of materials, like uh, in Aswar in Egypt, they have the huge, they have actually at least four uh, places where they were extracting the stones from. So, you know, the granite has certain energy properties. It has up to 15% of quartz crystal. Uh, from the practical point, it's very hard to work granite, you know. You, you could not use, like, 2,000 or 3,000 years back. The only tools were 
copper tools. Copper tools are very soft tools, very primitive. You cannot work granite, which is on a mock scale from 1 to 10, 6.5. You cannot work it with the copper, which is just 3. So they had to have more advanced technology, laser-based technology, the levitation forms of transportation. So for them, I don't think that uh, 1,000 tons or 500 or even a few thousand tons were the problem. They could maneuver with huge quantities of material. So, sure. you know, and uh, was it because of the future? I don't think so. You know, people usually say, oh, there is a message. Of course, there is a message. Message is, you know, the, the mere fact that you have those structures, it tells you a lot. Somebody had the knowledge, somebody would make multi-purpose machines and so on. But I think it was for their reason. They would make those machines so they could use them, they could communicate, they could rejuvenate themselves, they could have astronomical observatories, they could have a calendar, they could have a place from where they could improve the molecular structure of the water and the food and our spiritual abilities. I think it was for their purposes. And if you have, like the Sun Pyramid, if you have this communication device, the reason why you put one communication device on this planet, one on that planet, one in this solar system, and then you have the whole network. So, you know, uh, I think uh, it was the main reason. Sam, we have uh, a couple of callers on the line, actually. And uh, Keith, is it possible to bring one of them on for us? Ron is up. Okay, excellent. Hi, Ron. Thanks for joining in. Would you like to shoot your question, Sam? Hello. Yes, uh, Doctor Osmanovich. Uh, very, uh, very great honor. I've been enjoying listening to this. A lot of fun. Um, the um, I just had a comment on the business of the pyramids in general. The uh, Usually, the things, ancient things seem to have been built on top of earlier things. That's not uncommon at all. And as to Baalbek, I, my personal feeling about that might be that uh, those huge blocks that they couldn't move after they made them might indicate that they had the technology to dress the stone at that sort of scale, but they didn't have the technology or they, still, they didn't still have a grip on it to move them. And that was the problem. It was two separate pieces of information that they had inherited, and they had had the one but not the other. The uh, the comment that I have, courtesy of Richard, I know you've talked about the um, Elon Musk tweet to the um, Egyptians, and I read the news reports. I didn't see that the, it was probably inspired by something that they just announced in Egypt shortly before that about finding a ramp which they said explained how they built the pyramids there. And um, the, basically it was a ramp with, I thought that theory had been trounced a long time ago, but they had um, found this ramp and it's got post holes every so many feet. And they said, oh, well, they strapped, uh, they strapped ropes around there and used counterweights to balance the weight of the stones. And that way they could move them up the ramps. Um, yeah, this tunnel is supposed what, to be in, it, the ramp is supposed to be internal not external as most of the people had uh, pointed out that this is how they did it. But uh, the guy yeah, who I saw I this piece too, he actually, he's an architect. He found that there are these paths inside the pyramid when they did the radar um, mapping of it. 
and they do go in a yes. a spiral, a square spiral up the pyramid. Yes, yes. That doesn't explain this, how they this, moved this stones. A, it just explains how they got to position them. This well, has been around for years, this theory. Huh? He said the Grand Gallery was, was used to actually act as a, a, a counterweight to pull some of those up the, the ramp. It kind of makes sense, but I'm not sure if that's really what happened, though. But I think it's pretty close. No, I, I kind of put it in the same category as uh, Roland Emmerich's other movie, where he had the pyramid being built by um, stones that were pulled up by mammoths yeah. uh, tied to them. Well, I've certainly seen an animation that explains this by a French architect at least three years ago. Uh, so in my mind, I don't yeah. think it's a new theory. In my mind, it, it, if there is any well, significance to it, then it's the timing that's significant. So why would they choose to exactly, answer Elon exactly. Musk right now? They just the, the Egyptians announced it, and Musk, issuing one of his usual enigmatic tweets for most people, was conveying an inside message. He's saying, look... I know you know, and I want you to know that I know that you're covering something up because otherwise, how would they have a prepared statement that was rather specific to his comment that came out the same day? I mean, they just answered him immediately. Usually that would take a while. Plus, there was a blistering retort from um, Zahi Hawass, who still seems to be around, and said, the whole thing is a complete hallucination. I can almost remember what his voice sounds like saying something like that. So I think it was messaging. That was as far as that goes. The other thing that I was asked to mention was the problem with the Steve Troy. This has nothing to do with what you were saying. I'm sorry. But the uh, Steve Troy archives of um, NASA materials, still a problem with paying for the shipping on those. And having, I never realized I had so much in common with Steve. We used to argue the few times I talked to him. But um yeah, I lost a storage locker once for similar financial reasons, and it had all my um, uh, had all my grad work. It had all my papers. It had the best of my um, library and everything else, and there was nothing I could do about it. So it's a bad feeling when that happens. Anyway, that's all I had to um, say. I people really should look at that uh, link for um, helping us out with that. It. Um, uh, it's kind of essential, but I don't. I don't want to take the shine off of this. This has been a fascinating discussion, and Dr. Osmanjic, I would love to sit down with you in front of a couple of beers and perhaps a bottle of Slivovich and um, discuss many things at great length. <laughs> Ron, uh, we have another caller. Uh, yes. Keith, would yes. you like well, to okay, come on? Thank I'm you very done. much, Ron. Uh, you can... Keith, is he there? Cam, you're on. Hello. Hey, Cam. Oh, hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, my name's Cam. I'm calling from Normandy Park, Washington. And I have a geometry question about the pyramids, actually. Um, in studying all the variety of uh, pyramids all over the world and the variety of shapes, uh, you got me wondering, is the slope of a pyramid related at all to the latitude it sits on on the Earth? All right, well, uh, thanks to Ron and Kat. Uh, now, Ron probably asked us about four or five questions. The first one he mentioned, Balbek, he said they cut 1,500, they had no mean of transportation. Well, I would disagree. If they were able to cut it, they knew how to move it. 
And the matter of fact, on top of that hill from the quarry, there were blocks in the fourth row, and there were 840 tons. So, you know, once you lift, you have to have technology. It was not slaves and ropes. But over there in the quarry, uh, so far, four or five huge pieces were discovered. Does it mean that the structure was unfinished? It is possible. As far as the building, the Egyptian pyramid, the Giza pyramids, people think it was built for the, for the, the Great Pyramid of Egypt, and then 20 years later, the second one and the third one. I disagree. There was a master plan, and they were built at the same time. First, they would prepare the surface, because from one end of that, uh, you know, uh, terrace to another one, it's less than one inch difference. It's a perfect. So they would prefer the terrain. They would build them as the freestanding structures. So uh, the question is, the material, was it cut in the quarry? Of course, uh, thanks to the work of Professor Davidovitz, Joseph Davidovitz from Geopolymer Institute from France, I would say that majority of the blocks were actually pulled as the concrete blocks. Why I'm saying that? Because we can see that uh, besides the, uh, the limestone, we also have several additives which would help to get excellent quality, you know, concrete blocks. So there are still some open questions, but I would say that very advanced civilization did it because some of the blocks, like 220-ton block in the second largest pyramid, you know, Kafre pyramid, they were moved, you know, 880 kilometers, 500 miles from Aswan. So uh, more advanced civilization for sure. And as far as the geometry and the connection with uh, where they are located, since in Egypt, like I said, out of 155 pyramids, we've had the range of the slope from 28 degrees to 66 degrees, I would say that there is no correlation there. However, the slope is very important because it affects the frequency, the vibration, and it has always been about the vibration. Fascinating. Well, thank you very much. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. Um, we have, as ever, far too little time left. Sam, one of the ideas I'd like to just throw in very quickly is that I had this idea some time ago that the slope angle of the pyramid and the latitude and the frequency may all correlate if you think of the sort of the forces that go around our planet, perhaps electromagnetic, perhaps uh, enhanced by what comes out of our, our sun, but it's like the pyramid and the slope angle could almost create, when you see it in section, like an eddy, like a little, uh, it's almost like a pump. It's like an eddy that rotates above the pyramid and pulls the energy up. Perhaps it's a loop, perhaps it changes the polarity, maybe it uh, changes the frequency. It could be a cleansing, cleansing system even. But uh, alas, we don't have time to to go any further into that right now. Kintia, Anessa, do you have any questions you'd like to conclude or anything you'd like to say before we, we go on out? 
uh, I had to come off mute there. I actually have just been listening, and I'm 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 fascinated. I want to come visit. <laughs> I I did have one question, and that is earlier, uh, Sam, you were talking about the uh, basically what I know as geopathic stress, the electromagnetic fields underneath the the pyramids. And I was wondering if you had any any feeling on it. I know that living over geopathic stress that's created not from a pyramid but from other anomalies um, is quite harmful to your health. But the it, it sounds like this is a form of geopathic stress, but maybe different. Is it different or the same? Um, it is different. There, you know, different energy forms. Like if you have underground water flow. Under your bedroom, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you're gonna get sick. This is you know, geopathic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, fields that are bad for us. So either you move your bed or you find the protection. And then there are so-called uh, uh, Hartman grids. Hartman grid with the Hartman lines running running east, west, north, south. The intersections, bad energy for us. The ancients knew about those bad energies. And the real quick. When it comes to latitude, latitude can be sometimes very Good night, all.